Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality fanfiction analysis podcast, a subsidiary of Doof Media Incorporated. That was so smooth. Yeah, for once. And then I kind of floundered afterwards. I like shocked, but no, we'll just tape that and like we are taping that. We'll just keep that. We'll just play that from everyone for now. <laughs> it sounds like a plan. By the way, I'm Steven. Oh, hi. Yeah, I'm Brian. Yeah. If you got yeah, this far and you don't know who we are yet, that's weird. Start that, at the that beginning. That would be weird. Like, wait. This is about a book called Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. It's, it's a fan fiction about Harry Potter, which is a book by J.K. Rowling about a young boy who finds out he's a wizard. That's right. This is a similar you should book. Read, if, you ha- if you haven't read it, you really might want to check it out. Yeah, or at least watch the first movie. Um, you know, I've heard people who've, <laughs> who've read this and haven't read the originals. I wonder, I mean, I think it'd be fine, but I know that like a lot of the references and, you know, all well, of Well, yeah, the- and also like... Because a lot of this, like a lot of what this is, is a sort of response. Not not that it's like a rebuttal or an argument, but like much of what it says is, you know, like it only makes what it is, is a response to a thing in the originals. So we kind of lose it. Not that it's like got to be a copy or anything, but. No, just like it, it, yeah. it builds bricks with the, or it builds, you know, its own structure out of the bricks that Rowling made yeah. with her books. And it would be. Like, so it gets to skip all the world building and shit. Why are we yeah. talking about this? We're on chapter 70, oh, everybody. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Yeah. So, I don't know. They don't care. No. You don't care. Yeah. This, this is Harry Potter and the Tangents of Rationality. That's right. And we are here to talk about chapters. I just think it was funny because I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, we're talking about the book as a whole, but we're on literally chapter 70. We're, we're well into this. If you're, not, yeah. if you're not up to speed yet, get there. Anyway. Right, we're, we're like almost two-thirds. I haven't checked the. Uh, we're about two thirds of the chapter. Um, chapter count. Chapter count. That, but uh, as far as word count, I can pull that up in my spreadsheet here and find out. We are about ooh fifty six percent of the way through. Hmm. Not as far as I thought. Yeah, the last ones has some long ones in there. All right. Well, we'll get there when we get there. For now, there's we, there's still time to bring like Hitler into the story or. Yeah, uh, uh, Hagrid is Hitler the whole time. King Arthur, yes. And it would have worked too. Speaking of, I have a Scooby-Doo comment for later, so that. we should talk about the book. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I love how this one opens. We get a very pithy Professor McGonagall. And... I know, this is another one of those good sort of like TV-like kind of thing where like we cut in and it's, you know, like a continuation and reaction to the previous conversation they had. Yeah, this is our cold open. Yeah. Well, not even cold open because this it's is good, related. It. No, it kind of is. Like it has that kind of vibe of like over you know, starting up in the middle of a scene. Yeah. So it starts up, McGonagall's listing off all of the uh, the young heroines who joined Professor, or joined uh, Miss Granger's, I guess, squad? I don't know what we want to call it. Heroines, they don't really have a name yet. They should really pick a name. Um, oh, no, it's the it's the Spew. Oh, yeah, the Spew it's, squad. Yeah, Spew, but it's Spew. That's the unfortunate part about that name. It's, it's a better name, but I can't say it. I'm going to just leave the H out. Spew. 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 The H is silent. Actually, if the P and the W were silent, it would just be she. She. Ah. Yeah, there's some galaxy brain shit right there. Okay. Oh. We'll keep rolling. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got to start somewhere. Um, so, so McGonagall and Dumb- Dumbledore talking. Yeah. And she's and just. And Dumbledore's like surprised or like kind of, what the phrase was like flat footed, I think. Because it's sort of like, oh shit, um, the like it worked too well. His manipulating Hermione into wanting to become a heroine has caused how many? I, I lost count. It was like four other girls, three other girls. 
seven other girls, eight seven. total. Um, yeah, I guess, but it's just like three that kind of, is it? Well, I guess we'll get to it later. She's listing the off names, three here, but yeah. Yeah, three. And like when they go on their little like Scooby-Doo adventure, um, I think it's, I want to just say it's like three other girls, but, um, but yeah, so Dumbledore, because it's sort of like an oh shit moment for him because uh, not only did it convince Hermione to become a heroine, but um, but she has some, not followers, as she says later, but it turned into more than just Hermione, which sort of like puts the lie to the whole like Dumbledore was trying to encourage her because he does seem like genuinely like, oh, fuck what happened. Um, when if he actually meant what he was saying, then this would be awesome at all of the heroines that have just appeared. That could be. I think maybe he just didn't understand that Hermione is not your average achiever and that when she goes for something, she gets 108%. So uh, if, if you're going to turn Hermione into a hero, I don't think he anticipated her getting 108% on the the test mm-hmm. there, right? So yeah. the, the bonus point is bringing other people into it. Yeah. And so then like McGonagall, like because McGonagall knows that he was just doing it to, you know, con Hermione into going for it. But she's so McGonagall saying, and I think you talked about that this is like Yudkowsky's technique for story writing, but that she's like, oh, you know, you told me that if I'm going to like lie, I have to just completely act as if it were true. And so it's, it's kind of sucked to have to like pretend to people that I also sort of disapprove of the thing you did. Um, so <laughs> she went along with that. I had to feign the appropriate degree of worry with a slight overtone of offense. Mm-hmm. After all, had I not known you were deliberately manipulating Miss Granger, I might have been rather put out. And he's just like, I see. And it says his hands toyed absently with the silver beard, small, quick gestures. Which I don't have a beard, <laughs> but if I did, and I think if I was kind of like twirling it really fast, I think it would be a nervous gesture. That's like the number one reason to grow a beard is so you can just play with it absentmindedly. I know. I, I think I mentioned this, but I'm convinced my IQ would go up five points if I could contemplatively stroke my beard while thinking of a problem it did for me i bet yeah <sighs> and i got another five for losing all my hair <laughs> oh no yeah. that was wisdom that was plus five to wisdom was losing my hair that's right yes. that gives you wise old wizard yeah. status minus two to charisma well i've got a full head of hair and can't grow any facial hair so yeah you'll be a bard yeah <laughs> <laughs> the most valuable party member uh nurture so, um, so Dumbledore is sort of like, okay, well, what'd you do about it? You know, uh, they, she says, oh, well, they, they're going to want to stage a protest outside your office. Um, and it's like, well, you surely you explain to them. She's like, I explained to them that Wednesday at five would be just fine. Um, and we get a cut to commercial. Wednesday at seven. Wednesday at seven. Oh, slacker. Yep. We're arming the people who point out that you're not reading with ammunition, Brian. There you go. We should like, I should intentionally get shit wrong drop little easter eggs of and then i could say everything i get wrong was on purpose exactly that's a life um, lesson whenever you're doing something if you do it wrong you can just say you were I'm doing in, that on purpose. i meant to do that i meant to do that i like the buttons when you press it it's all their voices which will get their their names out uh, i don't know how many times they're gonna read all of them but hermione granger padma patil parvati patil lavender brown susan bones hannah abbott hannah abbott excuse me daphne greengrass and tracy davis all their voices say, we won't settle for second best. It's time to give a witch a quest. Nice. Now, but, uh, it doesn't matter. They didn't. They weren't all on their little roaming the halls adventure that comes up, were they? Yeah. Were they? Okay. To me, like, it read, it felt like there were only three of them. That and the names just turned into solid for me, so. Yeah, they, they 
fall apart for me too when you're skimming yeah. over text like well, that. they're not they're not like fully developed characters so you don't you know you don't get a you have no history around them to put any context to it so right on the plus side in the marvelously well done audiobook by Inyash Brodsky the uh all the spew witches have their own characters or have their own voices rather wow he got you got what so he got seven different voice actors uh eight if you include Hermione eight. Uh, that's because Inyash has people skills I should get some of those yeah, one of these days I'll have to find these and people's skills. <laughs> All right, so, and that sort of cuts, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we're going to have the, the protest, and then we just cut to the protest is happening. Oh, yeah. Real quick, though, there was a drop that I guess I forgot about this, that Nymphadora Tonks went to Hogwarts while Harry and Hermione were there. Yeah, I was, yeah, I didn't, that was like a little, small little thing, and yeah, it was so sort of out of place for me that I remember thinking like, oh, is this maybe like a different Tonks? Or was it? I'm like, no, that was her name. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I guess I really sticks out as a name. I just because she ends up marrying Lupin, right? So exactly, cool. yeah. So I guess he's like him. what fifteen years older than she is. Wait, then he would only been like he would have been the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor like only two years after she graduated. At least mm. she wasn't at school still. That's spicy. <laughs> oh, we're <laughs> we're gonna hit plenty of spice at the end of the next chapter. Exactly. So. All right. Yeah. So we cut. We cut to the uh, the protest which is just this kind of cute or like it's obviously uncoordinated well i mean mm-hmm. it's coordinated but i don't know it obviously this is just a great time to be talking about protests so we'll just push all that aside and just it's just kind of like it's a very 11 year old protest like mm-hmm. she, they've got signs and they're just kind of walking around and the sign is just says nobody's sidekick i think that's what hermione says yeah. but you know it, it's nothing like over the top again the, the timing what, here like, obviously wasn't planned so would wizard i was wondering if like would wizard protest signs like be animated and do cool magic shit oh definitely they ought to i'm gonna that, that's my head cannon at least they the, say it's like you remember when uh i guess like powerpoint and word came up with all those fancy letters <laughs> that sparkled and shit yeah it's, it's those <laughs> no it's the, it's the marquee tag the, the wizards are like 20 years behind us they have the marquee tag no joke um, what I thought was cool that, uh, I guess like on some like less than conscious level, it was sort of like a pleasant surprise. I'm like, oh, cool. Harry was there too. And it wasn't just that Harry was there, but he was very like, like unambivalently, unambivalently there. He was like, well, of course not, not only just that, like he's there to support his friend, but that like the whole idea he's, you know, on board with as well. And so I thought that was cool. I also like how he's explicitly a background character. In yeah. this chapter, which is a nice change of perspective, because yeah. this is not, you know, Harry's arc right yeah. now. This is Hermione's, and so yeah. he he gets to be a sidekick to her quest here. So, yeah, and we're very much in Hermione's head. Yeah, this part. that was the. Um, I'll read this a little bit because what I really liked about the scene was sort of this isn't this is Hermione being a Hermione kind of hero heroine. I don't like that word. We'll just say hero from now on. Um, but so the paragraph that I liked was. <clears throat> but she had because so she's getting nervous about what she's talking about like oh four days ago when we planned this this seemed like a great idea but now that it's happening this is like really overwhelming and i don't know if i want to go through with it um so she says but she had to carry on because that was what heroes did and they carried on and also because it had seemed infinitely too awful to tell everyone she was calling it off hermione wondered how much heroism had gone on for reasons like that most books didn't say and then they refused to give up, no matter how sensible it would have been, because that would have been too embarrassing. But a great deal of history made a lot more sense that way. <laughs> so it's cool. I like, I mean, it's sort of, I like, what makes it sort of very Hermione for me is that there's like no pretense about it. 
and she's not having to like be like pretend to be more than she is. She's being sort of very honest with herself and honest with everybody else about what it is. And she talks later about like, it's that sort of determination around it. That is her version of being a hero. Um, I like the really cool. And this is also, this is sort of like, again, like this is that like pointer towards sanity that Hermione is in this story of this is a, this here is a way that nice people accomplish the same thing without being that kind of quarrel grandiose, you know, better than everybody else thing. Yeah. You know, I can't remember if we talked about this on the air, if I was talking about this on discord with, or maybe with Inyash or something, I forget, but it was like the, the grandiose, like capital H hero mentality that they kept throwing around in the last couple chapters was like somewhat unrealistic just by our world standards. But like in this world, it's super common for one crazy strong person to change the world because you know when you have yeah. a physics violating stick, you can do that. Where like now, if you want to be one person who changes the world, you need a team of thousands of people working with you, right? Or at least dozens. Yeah, yeah. and it's interesting. Uh, it's it kind of cool that I started reading Ender's Game at the same time because I'm seeing like how <clears throat> sort of like very consciously he's tying. I mean, we already knew that, but um, the way he's sort of tied this together. Um, is what stood out to me like and uh, then McKenna and I also like watched the movie because that's easier for then for her to keep up with the book now she knows the whole plot but um oh wasn't the movie just garbage it really is garbage yes um although I still like Ben Kingsley but, um that when he did his New Zealand accent for Makerasm hmm. um make rape Mazer Rackham um but like what I saw like a parallel in like the way the similarities between Harry and Ender or the differences too was, um, and in Ender's game too, there's sort of a big sort of like Ender is going to be like the new Mazer Rackham and like all of humanity was saved by the amazing feats of Mazer Rackham. And at least like stuck in my head, I'm like, what, how much could one guy do? Like, okay, yeah, he blew up a ship. Um, but, and that's like, not like a questioned part of, of that story. It's so like the, Ender's Game universe is built around like there's one savior of humanity guy, uh, and that's Ender Wigan. And that's <clears throat> fairly, that's kind of, like, so it's very like that's the same thing. Like Harry is the boy who lived, and he's the one that's, you know, did save everybody from Voldemort and is destined to save everybody from Voldemort again, as far as we all know. Um, and that it is still, it is that kind of. Like, oh, all our hopes are riding on one person who can be awesome enough to save all of humanity. And, we'll, you know, and it kind of tied into like Harry's whole, his kind of repeated self-talk about that basically like, you know, this is so much is riding on me. I basically need, I need to be God so I can fix it all. And I need to know the right thing to do because everybody, and then when he goes like into his quarrel brain, because everybody else is just too stupid to know what the right thing to do is and kind of a compromise Hermione kind of way of doing things just won't work. We just need somebody who's super smart enough to boss everybody around into the right way of doing things. Um, and so I could see like, but I think like in this story, like we're obviously like playing around with that idea. Like that's not so cool because Quirrell's being so like over the top with that idea as like, oh, that's clearly the best way to do things. Um, so, and we see that like that doesn't work so great. Um, so because I'd like, so he's, I think he's very, he's consciously tying in, um, Harry into being Ender, but I think he's sort of like questioning that idea, which kind of goes unquestioned in Ender's game of, you know, like the 
solution to our giant problem is to find one person that's good enough and we'll put all of our trust in that person and they'll save us. Um, I think we're kind of playing around with that um, in this one. Yeah, totally. I like yeah. that connection a lot. I mean, there's also just like the, the, the huge vulnerability point that if all your hope and power is in one person, then, you know, they get sniped or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and we're, hit, we're hitting it from a couple ways too, because it's also it's just like not good for Harry, like to try to like he's it's turned him into this like fawning like abuse victim that you know apologizes for anything Quirrell does, and puts all this pressure on him, this unrealistic pressure on himself to base. I mean, he almost said it like to be God. I think he did, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so it's like all of that stuff, even in the pursuit of that idea, like doesn't work. Besides the fact that the idea is just like not feasible. Yeah. No, I hear um, you. I also, I, I felt silly after we had our 10-minute hero conversation, which I got some positive <laughs> feedback on, which I liked. Cool. Um, there's the obvious, succinct distillation that I didn't mention, and I did put the video oh, in yes, Discord. Because sure. um, Hermione says, and I have to put it back in my mind, where she says, but she had to carry on because that's what heroes did. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's, then I've got the picture here in the notes of Thor, mm-hmm. because that's what heroes do. That's what heroes do. I think there's two times... Movie. <clears throat> oh, that was a great movie. The two times that he that says was, that, that, that was the was, that was from Ragnarok, though, right? That was yep. the one that was like half comedy. I thought it was a strange change of tone. Uh, if worked. you're not fam- if you're not familiar with Taika Waititi, a you should be, and b that's oh he did that. Like that. Oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, he also voiced know, Korg, the rock guy in Ragnarok. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, w- watch it again and just have in mind, you know, Taika Waititi directing this, and more or less without like. Uh, lines in the script hmm. Appar- apparently most of it was like all right bruce uh you you want to go go to earth thor you wanted to help you on asgard and you guys have whatever our conversation you need to have to make that happen and so like that was the direction that they got they didn't get lines to memorize for most of it uh there were there were apparently some several scenes with with memorized lines but by and large the majority of the movie was that sort of direction where it's like you guys are characters that are fleshed out enough that you guys come up with your own thing to say here you know i want to watch it again because i I didn't know that when i saw it and the the tone was straight because it sort of worked and the opening was awesome too um interesting yeah you're in for a treat thor's another thor's a top three in the brian marvel superhero thor made it onto the um living room wall in my house nice thor and, thor and iron man and the x-men perfect on these stairs going upstairs i love it so, so yeah yeah so that, that's people's assigned reading for this week is watch Thor ragnarok that's what that's assigned sign non-reading um so so the protest is getting underway um and coral i think it was a very sort of like the visual for me so coral is like we so it mentions like like Harry's there, talks about everybody else there, and then um, which one of the teachers are there. Um, and then it kind of describes like Quirrell's just sort of like hanging out in the back doing this very like like 30s gangster pose of like leaning against the wall and like flipping the button. Chewing on a toothpick. Yeah, I know. I like, meh, she, meh. <laughs> before, before we got to Quirrell, there was a fun little bit where with Hermione, she says that, uh, uh, but Hermione was very, very aware that even if she was doing it with signed permission, she was still defying authority mm-hmm. with capital letters. And after she decided to be a hero, Hermione had done the obvious thing and gone to the Hogwarts library and taken out books on how to be a hero. 
should then return to those books back to their shelves because it had been patently obvious that none of the authors had been actual heroes themselves. <laughs> Instead, she had just read five times, five times over Godric's, Godric Gryffindor's 30-inch autobiography and uh, basically just talked about how it's, like, super dense. Um, yeah. And that the takeaway was, um, while defying authority wasn't the point of being a hero, you couldn't be a hero if you're too scared of it. And I just, I like that. Because yeah. that, I think that is generalizable to some extent, right? You don't just, part of, and Quirrell puts it, of course, as, as quirrelly as possible. Uh, we should say squirrely instead of quirrelly. Um, <laughs> that, you know, you find part of the world that it dissatisfies you and say, I'm going to change that, right? Yeah. And you can't do that without defying authority. Of course, it's not clear whose yeah. authority Dumbledore had to violate to stop Grindelwald, but now well, see, I think that was the thing, like, it's not, and not everything you do to be heroic is defying authorities. That's true. There you go. It seems like Dumbledore's got a, his own sort of self-aware uh, sense of irony that he knows that he is now the source of authority that needs to be defied. Yeah, he's, he's almost too um, trope-aware for his own good. <laughs> I am the trope. Oh, yeah, but the other thing before we get to Quirrell was, was uh, Professor Sinestra, who must be around 70 years old, because mm. she was talking about how when her mom was happy when the Women's Qualification Act passed in, like, 1918 in Britain, apparently, mm-hmm. which let women vote there. And oh, is that, like, the British equivalent of American? Women's suffrage. Oh, yeah. I guess so. Um, and it's just, like, I think at least twice she says, and that wasn't the worst of it. Why? Just a few centuries earlier. And she's just, and then <laughs> there's, I think it doesn't actually say what she says. It's just, like. It's just like a drop in, like, oh, these people are way older than they appear to be. Well, but then the other thing was, like, she says a few centuries earlier, and then it doesn't say what she said, but everyone just staring at her with shocked expression. <laughs> and that wasn't the worst of it, not by half. But you see where this sort of thing could potentially lead. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is where Quirrell comes in. It's a perfect tie-in. Because uh, then Penelope Clearwater says, Merlin, preserve us. You mean that's how men would treat us if we didn't have wands to defend ourselves? And then one of the boy prefects is like, hey, that's not... And then Quirrell laughs from over in the corner, you know, flipping a button and chewing mm. his... Uh, Toothpick, whatever, bowler cap and greasy hair. Listen here, you squares. Yeah, listen here. Such is human nature, Miss Clearwater. Rest assured that you would be no kinder if witches had wands and men lacked them. <laughs> of course, <laughs> he's just like, his his whole worldview is like, everyone's an asshole and run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, was, I thought like there was this bit and then when he talks a little bit later when he's sort of like trying to lay eggs in their brains about like having enough ambition that there's like this underlying assumption in the way he talks about the level that he, that everybody will give a shit about his opinion and kind of the, like the mind fuck of it and to the extent that it works. And I don't know if, if maybe it's just sort of like how Harry's starting to like crack the armor on that, but it, it just sort of stood out to me as like the, how much you don't notice the inappropriate level of assuming that your word is that important to everybody else. Uh, and, and the sort of just kind of like mental gymnastics of the thing that the, the way it is this like sort of subtle manipulation yeah i think he might be exactly aware how much weight he has when he speaks right and so it's it's less like it's still subtle manipulation but it's fully intentional yeah yeah and it's just sort of like it almost because it's so like the established just way that he talks um that i don't i don't even think that like this was particularly on purpose when it was the way it was done here but it, it just sort of like reminded me of um like again that sort of like grandiosity about it like and the 
like looking down his nose at mere mortals. Um, and that it's just like an assumption that, well, of course, my opinion is way more important than yours. Um, and the way he just like, and when he's again saying this sort of like lazy kind of cynicism that, you know, all people suck and everybody would rape everybody, um, that it's got like, it's done with like kind of no evidence. It's just like, well, because I said so is kind of like the argument behind it. Yeah. He, he just drops the, uh, basically the backstory for Voldemort's parents from canon. Yeah. I didn't get you pointed that out to me. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that, but, but yeah, so he sort of says like, like, oh, if basically that if women, you know, had power over men, uh, they'd be, you know, using the magic equivalent of roofies and raping men, um, which with is, love potions. Yeah. Which is how, you know, Voldemort was conceived in what made such a well-adjusted baby Tom Riddle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't. It wasn't until you pointed that out. I didn't pick up on that at all. Well, I this is saying this isn't saying anything about your adult notion that this humble, gentle defense professor is somehow Voldemort mm-hmm. in disguise or anything, but just seemed like another, oh yeah. That, that yeah, was I just keep it. forgetting which parts you're supposed to p- pretend are still unknown. <laughs> that was that <laughs> was just a, a canon uh, lore drop. That so like it wasn't this thing didn't come out of nowhere. This was explicitly yeah. in the the OG text. Um, and it was basically. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, and he doesn't actually. This is a, totally. You have to have. Uh, you have to know know that because there's nothing here that you would at all know that he's. That's what the connection was making. Right, yeah. and like the, oh, I forgot what I was going to say, um, but yeah, the backstory I think was basically that Voldemort's mom spies some handsome muggle and slips him a love potion, and then it's like, okay, cool, yeah, work done. Now he's mine. I can do whatever I want, which is uh, super uncool. And many of the listeners of this podcast will be familiar with uh, Parahumans, uh, which is Wild Bo's awesome book. I can't imagine. Well, I guess if there's anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about, uh, <laughs> let me know. But if you, and if you haven't read it and you're looking for stuff to read, it's super awesome. Start with Worm, then Ward is the sequel. But Ward especially has some mind rapey, and I, and I don't use the word lightly, but that's that's what it is. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are a handful of powers that, that do that. What's fun is like, I mentioned this before, but every power in this book is unique, even if some of them manifest similar, similarly. Like, there are a handful of people with, like, a Superman-seeming power set, but they all work differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, one of the antagonists for a while can kind of just, like, realign your your affiliation in a way that you're, like, totally aware of, but super okay with, which makes it, like, extra sinister. How do you mean by affiliation? Like, so she's she's a uh, um, a villain, and then you get under her influence and you're like, oh, yeah, it's not nearly as bad as I thought it would be. Um, hmm. And yet now all of your thoughts are like, oh, no, wait, that wouldn't make her happy. Um, it's it's very sinister and uncomfortable and uh, excellently executed. Um, obviously, I can't uh, explain how that all works out because that's spoilery, <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. So anyway, moving past all of that, uh, they get into a bit back and forth where Sinestra and Quirrell are arguing about like oh so you're saying wizards don't do that and um oh because then Quirrell's like oh I'm sorry are we still pretending are we still pretending that doesn't happen my mm-hmm. apologies that's I think that was kind of one of the lines or something it's like that kind of casual condes- condescension thing he does that was one of the ones that sort of made it stick out of just like how he just assumes that's like the way all people would react to him and yeah and this one he's yeah. talking to Professor McGonagall who's like probably the only person other than Dumbledore in the building who can fire him yeah but he knows that you. Yeah, works, I want to. So. I mean, as we're talking about it, what I'm thinking is like it's sort of at least for me how it's working in my head is it feels like, like the armor's cracking on Coral, and these are like the ways, like this does sort of feel like, 
like, okay, this is getting old, Coral. Like, you know, you need to actually like show some reason that anybody would, you know, follow your every word. Um, I don't know if that like means anything or, uh, but that's kind of like how it's working. Like this sort of like goes along with how Harry is starting to question his stuff. Like, oh, Coral's starting to, the facade of kind of his perfection seems like it's starting to slip. Hmm. We'll keep our eyes on that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, oh yeah, like Hermione is kind of like uncomfortable because obviously the whole quarrel business was super awkward. And then she glances at Harry, and I like this how you know she doesn't know why. I think just kind of look reassuringly at a friend, and Harry's yeah. like standing perfectly still and gives her like a little nod as if they're agreeing on something. And to me, that's just like gentle encouragement. I'm yeah, not sure if I there's like some that. subtext I'm missing there, but well, I think what how I read it was that it was like it was a sign not only just like Harry being supportive of Hermione but that like then we also know that Harry's on the same page because that is a way that like if he was just sort of still completely under the spell of Quirrell then he wouldn't think there was anything wrong with him you know going through that little tirade hmm Uh, yeah um let's see oh it's Professor Vector who we get like just kind of a I forget if it was Sinestro or Vector actually we get like a throwaway that Hermione had never talked to them um until they came to buy a button and mm. if I remember correctly, actually, I think Professor Sinestro was supposed to be the head of Ravenclaw House in canon, but that made no fucking sense because Ravenclaws were like just complete wallpaper in that yeah. version. So these I have no like rec- like is, in in my head those are like Professor Richard and Professor Other Richard. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like random names. Uh, but I remembered that I was pleased when uh, Flitwick was head of Ravenclaw House because like he's a you know, a player, you know, a, a named character in the yeah. series who gets screen time. So like, why wouldn't he be the person anyway? Um, she's like, you know, I don't remember being discriminated against, uh, <coughs> for being a woman or, and she uses the word colored cause she's in her seventies, I guess. <laughs> I know. She, I like that stuck se- out. I'm like, Oh, that's like, that fits. And yeah, and she's in her seventies in the nineties. So she uses that word, but she says that she, she had never been discriminated against on account of being a woman or being a person of color. No. And now it's all for being muggle born. Uh, Miss Granger, I believe it was just with heroes that you found a problem so far. And Hermione is like, oh, because she's like still kind of coming down from how this is still stressful and weird. And she's like, yeah. And what exactly did you check? And she's now she gets to answer, you know, kind of a quiz question. And apparently there have been many as many women ministers of magic as men. Supreme Mugwumps tilt a little male, but not many. Um, but if you look at famous dark wizard hunters or people who stopped the invasions of dark creatures or people who've overthrown dark lords... And then Quirrell gets to chime in, and he pulled out his nice quote. Um, oh, about the dark and the dark wizards themselves, of course," said Professor Quirrell. Now the defense professor had looked up. Uh, you may add that to your list, Miss Granger. Among all the suspected Death Eaters we know of, only two sorceresses, Bellatrix Black and Electo Electo Caro, which is an awesome name, harder to say, but it's awesome. Uh, and I dare say that most wizards would be hard pressed to name a single Dark Lady besides Baba Yaga. Um, and then Hermione's just staring at him dumbfounded, and he's like, he could possibly be saying, and then Professor Vector, Professor Quirrell, what are you implying? And I like this. He he does the kind of, remember like when he was giving a Christmas speech, and he's got his fingers out, and he's like, division, close them into a fist, strength. This reminds <laughs> me of that, where he's, he shows the speed letters, and he says, heroes, then he turns it around, dark wizards. They are similar career paths followed by similar people. And one can hardly ask why young witches are turning away from one course without considering its reflection. <laughs> Which, again, that's the most that's the squirreliest thing that mm-hmm. one could possibly squirrel, right? <laughs> squirreliest squirreling. 
Tracy Davis. Tracy Davis. Oh, I see. You're joining our protest because you're worried not enough girls are becoming dark witches. <laughs> <laughs> I know that was when we say it a little bit later. It seems like there is sort of like more explicit acknowledgement that like Coral is not cool. This is not okay. What is this guy doing here? It's amazing how much more obvious that is from Hermione's mm-hmm. point of view than from Harry's. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's a good way of pointing it out. Um, yeah, because well, just jumping ahead, we we'll go back. But yeah, it's Penelope Clearwater. Um, she says, my goodness, I think that's the most overtly evil defense professor we've ever had. Um, and in my notes, I was like, I know, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, actually, I mean, now that you say it, it's sort of a good point. Like it kind of then makes it does make it more appear like like how specifically this is a, you know, shortcoming of Harry's that this is his huge blind spot. And then it's not, you know, lost on everybody else. But still doesn't explain why. McGonagall's so like an apologist for him. I, you know, my, my honest headcanon is that she's just stoked to have a super confident defense professor in Hogwarts, that she cares so much for the kids getting a well-rounded education and their, uh, you know, a, a, a crux of their well-rounded yeah, uh, I see curriculum that. has been lost <laughs> for so many years. Yeah, that, that sort of like butts up against her like very like strong um, sense of like care, like protection sort of like the I mean, it is part of that, but it's more than that. Like her kind of affection for Harry and her protectiveness of him, like that should like override, you know, any sort of like, oh, we need a good defense professor. It's like, because she can see and she's, you know, expressed directly to Harry that she's like really worried about the, you know, his relationship with, with Coral and the, and the things he's doing. Um, so I would think that should like kind of override it or it should like, you know, knock out some of the, of her, you know, gratefulness for having a good, defense professor but hmm hmm it doesn't come up too much so yeah i don't have much to add other than uh you know i guess it, it is an interesting kind of conflict there so yeah. well, we'll see what happens i do like um so coral I, I i basically just love everything coral says that's why i'm fully like in harry's camp of like how awesome is this guy <laughs> but he he's just like no not really miss davis in truth i don't care about this sort of thing in the slightest it's futile to count ministers of magic and, and such ordinary folk leading ordinary existences. And Grindelwald and Dumbledore and he who must not be named were all men. Then again, only a few ever, only a, geez, only a few folk ever do anything interesting with their lives. What does it matter to you if they are mostly witches or mostly wizards, so long as you are not among them? And I suspect you will not be among them, Miss Davis. For although you are ambitious, you have no ambition. And then that's not true. What does that mean? <laughs> What's it mean? Yeah. It's not true. I, I like the. I mean, so the. the she said, right, is like at, she, the way she says, I have an ambition, like, like she's, you know, I would like one alcohol, please. Right. I have and an ambition. What I like about that, though, is because that, that is a mindset I have felt myself and I imagine isn't, I'm not the only one, where like I felt like I want, like I felt ambitious, but nothing to direct it towards. Yeah. And I still vaguely feel that way, but much less so. Um, yeah, that's sort of like it. It felt like that's sort of like the the way Quirrell had said in the notes, like baiting them. That, but like the kind of insecurity he's trying to build up in them is is kind of like that. We have this this kind of vaguely articulated kind of cultural idea of like avoiding mediocrity, um, and that's that feels sort of like what he's trying to say. Like because his words ambition are so vague. 
Um, and I think that sort of works too. Like you keep it vague like that. You can just kind of keep goading that kind of sense of insecurity about it. Cause like, well, what does it mean in like in service of what? And like, and what does mediocre mean? Like this sort of like unquestioned desire for quote greatness um, without like, and then if you stop to think about it and answer the question, but why, like there is really not much of a good answer for it. Um, yeah. And if being the president of magical Britain doesn't count as ambitious, then like, I mean, so he counts that as, you know, ordinary yeah. folk leading ordinary existences, which yeah, like being minister of magic is different than being Grindelwald or Dumbledore. Yeah. But like to say it, it, it is painting a very like, hard to reach area outside the box yeah. for like what counts as exceptional and ambitious and it's yeah it's like an inherently unwinnable game like if you're already right. like you know high mucky muck isn't good enough there's this sort of like non-specific you know master of the universe um kind of role that you will never make you know it's almost defined as the thing you will never get to um but i had to it's like it's funny because you're talking about like how sort of like just awesome the whole like all of this you know, badass talk from Coral is, uh, it was funny for me and it like, it fits, it works in the story. But for me, this is sort of like, this all sort of hit me as like, like it kept showing as like fake. Um, and that kind of like fits at least for me, like how it feels like things are going that like this was a, a manipulation on his part. I think that's like, the part's pretty obvious, but, um, or, or maybe not, but like, it's just like the, the polish is starting to come off of him. Like you started, I mean, it's still really good and he still sounds really impressive, but you're starting to like see the, the kind of machinations underneath in a way that he wouldn't want to be seen, but it's kind of, I don't know. It feels like it's, you're starting to see like the first cracks. Yeah. Or it's I maybe like just that. that I'm, you know, or it's just that it's getting old. <laughs> I think it, I, it wasn't until I had said it a few minutes ago, but like, I think it is kind of just viewing this from the outside, you know, when you're viewing it from inside the head of somebody who thinks everything he's saying is awesome, mm. then it's like, uh, less salient at how, yeah. um, and, and there's, I don't know, you know, like he, so he says at best, you'll grasp your way upwards into minister of magic or some other position of unimportance, never breaking the bounds of your existence. And it's like part of it, like on one reading, that's like, man, that, you know, that that sounds so powerful like break the bounds of your existence but then on the second reading it's like and what the fuck does that mean yeah exactly it's it, yeah that's sort of the it's it doesn't sound vague but it is vague which then makes it you know sticks it in that like unattainable like it's just it is like inherently just the thing to be insecure about um and not an actual then it's like not an actual ambition yeah um, and i think for i think for quarrel like being exceptional means that you have to do something that no one else thinks of doing like you're not following a you know 15 year plan which to me sounds exceptional yeah. if you've got a 15 year plan and ends with you being president that's fucking tight but if, <laughs> uh, i mean you, especially if, like he says even if you get there that's unimportant like that uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, can't you uh, see, like, even if somebody did have, like, some amazing whatever plan, like, it wouldn't matter what the plan was or what, you know, somebody accomplished out of that ambition that Quirrell could just still whip out that, like, lazy, lazy cynicism again and just, like, belittle whatever. Like, there is no achievement that he couldn't just kind of roll his eyes at um, and make you feel like, oh, that doesn't really, that that one doesn't count. That, that, um, I think that makes sense. I think. He's like the I... Fred Trump of Hogwarts. That's not good enough. Your president, not good enough. The Fred Trump? It's Donald Trump's father. 
It's like oh, the, I forgot that was his theory. name. It's like Donald Trump is yeah. perpetually trying to please an unpleasable father. So yeah, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's. We're gonna we're gonna said. offend our mega listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, in in the event that we have any, I hope they're you know nice and unoffended and all that stuff. But I I'm not overly concerned. Well, you smart words. I I sort of really doubt that the. Venn diagram of our listenership and MAGA hat wearing people is has strong overlap. But yeah. um, that said, you know, still hope you're enjoying the story and taking something away from it. But um, <laughs> look, I think what I was going to say though is if I put on my charity hat and read that line or some other position of unimportance, never breaking the bounds of your existence, maybe to quarrel, to do something exceptional means that you have to like do something that other people aren't doing. Even if only a few people have done it before, that still means that like you're following a path that someone else tread already yeah. so like i'm not sure if quarrel would count like the like if, if uh if daff or who was he talking to tracy davis if she innovates the technology to get uh wizards to live on mars mm-hmm. like would that count as a cool ambition i think so that's outside the box it's um, sure but can't you picture the, but they would like there is it wouldn't matter like quarrel like if we were put in that situation he would like belittle it i mean it totally I mean, should he, but he seems to be saying, like, if you go off and become the next Voldemort, that would be cool. Yeah. And that, that sounds a lot easier to do than getting people on Mars. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I don't know, at least, um, like, how this is playing out in my head is, because what I was just thinking was, so he's doing this this thing again, like this sort of condescension and lazy cynicism. Um, but that he's also, he hasn't changed it up. He's doing it basically exactly the same way he has always been doing it. Um, so at least like where my head is going with this is like, this is sort of like the beginnings of the wheels starting to come off the wagon for him. And I'm kind of, this is very like nonspecific in my head. I have no idea what I'm specifically talking about, but that, that I kind of picture, cause he's still like this super, he's Voldemort. He's like this super powerful, whatever, but that there will come some point where the wheels fall enough off the wagon that he then sort of like lets loose and like let's go of the facade and just sort of just like a weird image of like, you know, when like the demons being defeated at the end of the movie and like, they're almost dead, but that that's something like causes them to just like freak the fuck out. And it's like, they're like less last death throws, something, something like that's kind of the vibe. Like, Oh, as it's falling apart and like the, this facade of his perfection falls apart that he's going to like fucking snap and some bad shit's going to happen. I don't know where that's going, but that's my idea. It sure sounds fun. Uh, as your very non non committal uh, response. <laughs> uh, so that was that was a hell of a tangent. No, no it was advanced. Um, oh yeah, but so so after he's that like oh you've got no ambition and you suck. Um, uh, what I say, Hermione's not having it, and it, so he does kind of like direct that at at Hermione, um, and you know if you wanted to be a hero you have to do great things and blah blah. Was it? Yeah, I need to tie it back to ambition. But so Hermione, like, uh, I think it was immediately after she said, like, I don't agree with anything you just said. And McGonagall thinks that's awesome. Um, hmm. Well and, said, Miss Yeah. Uh, and so she says, Hermione took a couple of deep breaths trying to be brave. It's not about being not ordinary, she said as stoutly as she could. But I think if someone just tries to do what's right over and over again, and they're not too lazy to do all the work it takes, and they think about what they're doing, and they're brave enough to do it even when they're scared... Hermione paused for an instant, her eyes darting to Tracy and Daphne, and they the cleverly, two Slytherins in the group. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, and they cleverly plan how to do it, 
and they don't just do what other people do, then I think someone like that would already get into enough trouble. I like how she called it, get into enough trouble too. But um, that was like the title. That was like the the summation of the Hermione way. Um, and it was awesome because it's so, and it was sort of like this kind of, well, yeah, opposite of quarrels, this humble kind of, humble but undeniable truth about it that like, I mean, because like, how can you argue with, well, no, if you just keep trying, it will work. Um, what I so. love about that is that you pointed out that he leaves right before Dumbledore comes mm-hmm. down. He also leaves right after this. And I think and it's he because- doesn't really have a response to it other than like trying to like, you know, insultingly hand her uh, badge back to her. But yeah, the button that he had somehow stolen because she never stole him one. Yeah. Uh, what, I, what I like about that, though, is that. Um, it, like so the timing with Dumbledore arriving right when he leaves he pointed out and I never actually noticed before but I did just notice that he leaves right after this like like you said this this humble but undeniable fact of like no this is this is all it takes and she lists like the four virtues of the four houses that's why I mentioned that she looks like oh, her two, her two yeah, I didn't put that together before, before throwing in the cleverly planned stuff and then he's just like okay fine and he just like fucks right off right He's like, all right, well, I don't want to come back to that. I get the feeling that he's just super pissed. Yeah. Um, he's he's like, no, I'm, you know, I'm indomitable and correct. And she's like, well, actually, you know, if if people bound together and or, and you know work hard and you know do all the things that she said, then mm-hmm. that's that's really all it takes. And he's just like, all right, I'm clearly not getting through to her <laughs> or you know through to this or like more. Maybe I more, sort of read uh, it as like a little like unadmitted defeat. Yeah, that, that, that's more what I was trying to yeah. get at. Is like, it's not like I'm not getting through to her, but it's more just like, okay, fuck it. I, I, I'm not, uh, I don't have anything for that. Yeah. So and so he, just, and he just like falls like back somewhere. to his like shitty insult around like, so he says like, oh, I heard you can get two sickles for this button. That's my donation to your cause, which is sort of like, A, he stole the thing. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and then it's also like a way that he, you know, he just put a bullshit frame around, I'm giving you your stupid button back. Right, um, and then he it was, it was good off, like he has somewhere else important to be, mm-hmm. which he might, who knows. But I, yeah, I just like that he's he's well, I'm not defeated, but you know what? I'm checks his watch. Oh, I got somewhere to be. So. <laughs> oh, I hear somebody calling me. <laughs> and yeah, I've got, I've got to go. Where... I've got some puppies that I need to kick. Oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I do like uh, the. This is like then Hannah is like, oh my god, that's gonna faint, and then Tracy's still like kind of freaking out, like on the verge of tears. I do too have an ambition. I'm, I'm. I'll figure out what it is by tomorrow, but I have one. I'm sure. <laughs> I know. Like, sorry about like it's that like it's grammatically correct to say I have an ambition, but something about the way that was phrased made it did, did sound like like an ambition of something she needed to go get. Right. Like, exactly. Like to go get one. I need one of those. It, it's like I, I think the like you go mentioned, to the ambition his, store his, and buy one. It, his uh his jabbing at them being like you know you guys are rebelling but what like to what end and that that dug to tracy deeply because he's like oh what you're gonna become minister of magic or something Pff, fucking casual <laughs> so i think that that rightly bums her out yeah. um and then that's then the, then we get to the point where we pulled out the quote yeah. with Penelope of the clear water saying that he's the most overtly evil defense professor we've ever had <laughs> and we get just this throwaway line to like uh, oh, you weren't around for, 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 for excuse me, you weren't around for Professor Barney, and that just makes several people twitch. Was that? Uh, yeah, I didn't pick up. Like, was that a? Is that a call out to something? Uh, like but Barney is, the I'm dinosaur. It. Um, that's all I can think of when I think of Barney. But uh, I'm, I'm just thinking that it's just you know 
some throwaway to be like, oh yeah, no, you, you, you guys haven't seen some shit. You got to look back and remember, you know, five years ago we had this defense professor that was walking around throwing dead cats at people or something. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think of what you could do to be more overtly evil than Professor Quirrell is acting, but. And then right after, so right after Penelope Clearwater says that, we have sort of like Harry regressing again because he feels like he has to like jump to Quirrell's defense because uh, he says, Professor Quirrell just talks like that, said Harry Potter, though he sounded less certain than before. I mean, think about it. He doesn't do anything like what Professor Snape does, um, which is fine. It's like, no, he does worse. <laughs> and, but it, and it also sounds like such a, like the, like, you know, abused wife, like making an excuse to the cops to like try to get you know, their abuser from being arrested. I mean, um, yeah. He just, he doesn't mean it. He just talks like that. It's not like he tries to murder, you know, Aurors in Azkaban. <laughs> well, they don't know that, but that's a really good exactly. point. But yeah, but like Maybe. Harry knows that and he's like, you know, so like the thing he's just like brought out as the defense of, well, he's not as bad as Snape. Like Harry knows that's not true. You know, his, so. his line there ends with a dash. Maybe he cuts himself off when he like, puts that together. Because he's like, oh, wait, he does do evil shit. Yeah, and, and he says, like, oh, he's yeah, less certain than before. So, yeah, yeah, we see, like, it's not. So I think it was sort of like a, like reminding us, of, like, no, he's like, you know, Harry's still kind of fucked in the head about this. But it's starting to, like, fade or, you know, fall apart. Like, the, the effect is I mean, lessening. Yeah, like, I think he's... Uh, you know, all the, the Askman business and the subsequent, like, oh, yeah, I'm just whoever I pretend to be kind of thing is, you know, still pretty shaking to him. So I think, like, his, oh, he just talks like that. He's not really that bad of a guy. Like, I think even when Harry's saying it, it sounds like a rehearsed thought for him. Yeah. And then at, as he's saying it, he's like, well, yeah, maybe. You don't do and, and then, like, because he brings up Snape, when you think about, like, the that big hullabaloo with Snape, like, the the stakes of what that was about are like, so there was the, Oh, I intimidated a a kid, you know, during class versus, Oh, I, you know, broke a murderer out of prison and almost, you know, killed the cops that were guarding her. Um, I think he's sort of about like the wrongness that Snape did to him and more like the horror stories they connected about Snape doing to other people. And, you know, so like Snape's been going out his way to bully kids for as many years as he's been in charge, which is a pretty shit thing to do. But it's not like the same kind of level of like overt, I don't know, slitheriness that Quirrell's throwing around. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's not even on the same level. Yeah. You've got one, you know, adult baby being a bully and one. uh, It was like, you're a shithead and you're a psychopath. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That said, I can't believe that you would dare suggest that our battle magic professor, you know, our meek, dear meek. Professor Quirrell, who's humble, you know, infinitely, exactly, you know, the giving, modest, nurturing professor right. Quirrell. That, yeah, you'd suggest that he's dark. That just, you know, grinds my gears, but we'll have to put and it it's, past You know, that. and a fan fiction wouldn't have Quirrell be, again, be Voldemort, because we already knew that from the originals. That's just way too redundant. And Quirrell doesn't have a quato on the back of his head yeah so in fact it specifically describes his like balding hair so he's not wearing this ridiculous turban all the time (laughs) not not that turbans are ridiculous i just think it was funny that like i mean they remark on it i remember in the books that like he smells like garlic and he's Mm. constantly fiddling with it and talking to himself like that's not what's going on here so mousy white english guy in like the the quarrel from the movies you know mousy white english guy in a turban is ridiculous 
You know, I remember there was a thread on Reddit some years or months, who knows, ago about, like, who would you cast to play Professor Quirrell in a Methods of Rationality movie? And I think the top comment was like, dude, the guy who played Quirrell in the canon books, or in the canon movies, is actually, like, a really, like, celebrated actor, apparently, Mm -hmm. in some movies. I'm not sure what else he's in, but someone threw him out, so... Whether or not he, he fits the both roles was fun to think about. Um, I just had the weirdest, again, like, not thought about Flash of Dennis Leary as Quirrell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that it works at all. It's just a weird thought. I was captures the asshole part of it. Well, so, Someone told me today that Knives Out was awesome, which reminds me, did you watch Knives Out? I have not watched it yet, though. No. Okay, well, watch it and you'll agree. But um, I posted a picture from that movie and it was Daniel Craig. And so I was like, you know, whenever it mentions... Coral's piercing blue eyes. This is what I picture is like <laughs> Daniel Craig. Like just look like you can see those eyes from across the street. They are, they're just luminous. And uh, maybe Daniel I Craig could, would play a mean professor. Quirrell, I could see that. Tight. Fit. He's a yeah. little, you'd have to sort of like, I, cause I definitely don't picture Coral as being like buff. So you'd have to like, but that's it. Like, I think most of Daniel Craig's buffness is like put there for our, like his accentuated one. It wasn't necessarily there. You just have and to not supposed do that. to be a bit younger, so we'll have to give him a CGI facelift like uh, Patrick Stewart in X Men Origins. I guess I yeah, I guess I'm not, I guess Quirrell could be like anywhere in his 40s or 50s, and that would still be that would fit for me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I was just drawing. I wanted to draw fun to how ridiculous that looked in the Wolverine movie at the end, well, and Patrick Stewart shows up with that oh, CGI yeah. facelift. <laughs> oh man, it was super uncanny valley. Okay, oh, there's our digression for that moment. So nice. Swing, swinging back in, um, apparently uh, Harry is ex- so. Flitwick asks, like, "Hey, why'd you like stop me for interrupting?" And um, Harry says, "So apparently Flitwick tried to say something." And mm-hmm. uh, Flit- yeah, Harry asked him not Harry to. Harry put like his arm on his shoulder or his hand on his shoulder or something. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, in any case, oh, Professor Quirrell was testing Hermione to see if she if he wanted her to be his mysterious old wizard, which totally would not have worked out in any way, shape or form, but she had to answer for herself. Uh, I think he pulled out how uh, she realizes that Quirrell is Harry's mysterious old wizard and not uh, Dumbledore. Yeah. And that really wasn't a good sign. And that, and that like, and Harry was sort of okay with the idea that like Hermione was being interviewed to see if Quirrell was going to be her mysterious old wizard. And that like, that was apparently okay with Harry. I'm not, Clear that kind of doesn't get spelled out exactly, but but yeah, that, that whole thing, thing was a little unsettling, right? just like Hermione took it. Can you have two Padawans? I don't see why you couldn't. Um, you know, I don't know. I didn't, I'm you not know. familiar enough with the extended Star Wars lore to know if that's allowed or not, but I, I don't see why it shouldn't be, especially if they're eleven. Maybe not, maybe not at the same time. I don't feel mm. like that would work. That's not really Padawan anymore. You're just sort of like freelancing your education. Also, just imagine like how annoying that'd be for both of them if. Professor Quirrell was Hermione's mysterious old wizard. <laughs> and it's like, I've got this quest for you. We're going to break somebody out of Azkaban. And she's like, that's ridiculous and stupid. <laughs> and I'm telling the cops. <laughs> that's not very nice. That's not very nice. <laughs> that'd be fun. Like, that's totally like, that's, that's Hermione's superpower though. Is like, he wouldn't, she would just start asking sensible questions and there would be no good answer for them. Like the, the yeah, Jedi, they, the Jedi mind are... tricks would not work on her. They are an immovable object and an unstoppable force, <laughs> for sure. Um, I like your notes. It just says, enter Dumbledore. Enter Dumbledore. He very, I, wanted to, I, I wanted to put in my notes, except I looked. He leaves only by himself, so I, couldn't, I wanted to say, exeunt. 
just the Shakespeare way of saying and they leave, but um, but that's when there's more than one of them. That's the plural. When it's not plural, it's just exit, and then that just doesn't look fancy anymore. But yeah, it was a very sort of like, I have entered the room, and now I am leaving the room. And I could picture like his robes like swirling and fluttering as he goes in. It's fun because you can barely imagine Dumbledore entering a room not dramatically, like his <laughs> presence, just like changing well, you the could temperature see what he could do is like a sort room. of very like solemn, like slow, quiet walk into the room. But even that would still be it's like a it's just a quiet kind of dramatic. It's kind of like that scene in uh, Man of Steel when Superman just goes to the courthouse. Mm. And it's I mean, like, I've yeah, sure. Steel. It's what? I mean, I've seen Man of Steel. I'm a Marvel bigot. Oh, nice. Well, yeah. uh, I mean, I think everyone hated it, but since I don't know anything about Superman, I I thought it was a perfectly fine movie. Um, like, it ends, you know, big spoiler, but he ends up having to kill somebody, which is a big Superman no-no. But, like, I think it was played out in a way that was clearly struggling for the character but i'm getting aside from that point is is like there's a scene where he goes to a courtroom and he sits down and he's talking to like the i don't know whatever you call it the assembly of judges or something and like just superman and he's there in his uniform and all that stuff just the fact that he and he, he didn't fly in he walked it was just like that's what i picture when dumbledore enters the room it's like yes you can be quiet and unobtrusive but you're still fucking superman right and he like walks into the courtroom like in his Superman clothes. I guess because if he's not in his Superman clothes, he's Clark Kent. Exactly. But, yeah. So Dumbledore gently but supermanly enters the room. <laughs> supermanly. And uh, he's just like, hello, Miss Granger. Looking at her benevolently through his half, half moon glasses and eyes twinkling cheerfully. Like just the, you know, happy Grandpa Dumbledore mm. vibe. Yeah, and she talked like, especially like the way they described uh, Dumbledore, like, I didn't get that thing about, like, the purple robes that would not be grotesque to anybody but muggles or something. Um, <laughs> but that, like, how, because he's, like, such this, you know, presence that that he should be really intimidating, and he was really intimidating, but not nearly as bad as talking to Quirrell. So, All right, that's a good, a good point. point. Yeah. And she does say that, but it's, yeah. like, he's, I don't know, I guess it's the difference between talking, I don't know, who's a bad guy. Now nah, I'm struggling to make more superhero connections. It doesn't matter. Lex Luthor. T- Huh? Lex Luthor. Yeah. That's like the Lex Luthor was also in Man of Steel, and uh, people maybe didn't love his variation on that character, so maybe that's why people didn't like that movie. It was played by... Uh, Gene Hackman. Oh, was... <laughs> 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 no, it was the, uh, the kid from The Social Network. Oh, I totally blanked yeah, yeah, his yeah. name. Anyway, yeah, I, they, it, I think they kind of played off as he's like Lex Luthor's son, but like named Lex Luthor, but he's like clearly not the adult version. Um, in any case... Uh, you know, even if you're talking to Superman and you know he's nice, it's still super intimidating, but less scary than talking to the bad guy. And I've derailed this enough. Sorry. <laughs> so Dumbledore, like he does this whole like, oh, I, 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 I didn't, again, didn't know like how to take this because because he basically just sort of like starts saying to her, oh, that's not what I said. And it felt like very gaslighty um, because he's, you know, he said like, oh, of course, you know, witches can be heroes too. And when I, you know, was trying to discourage you, although I don't know if he used that word, but he's like, oh, you know, really it was just that, you know, you're too young. And it just all like, like for me, it read like, like, oh, well, I didn't say that because now that you pointed out in front of everybody, that would have been a shitty thing to say. So clearly <laughs> I didn't. Um, I, I hear where you're coming from. Maybe I'll have to go back and read his exact words, but I, I feel like he, he wasn't saying he, he did say you shouldn't be a hero. He didn't say like witches shouldn't be, but he might have used the word young witch or something 
rather than like young wizard. And so maybe that's where it was. But he, he didn't say like witches shouldn't be heroes. He just said like, well, yeah, and that's, it, and that's what made it feel like gaslighting to me was that it, uh, like it felt like, well, yeah, technically I didn't say that. Let me explain to you the technicalities by which I didn't say that. Um, so that the fact that you feel like I totally shit on your idea, you know, make that I make you feel crazy about it. And that's not really what I meant. Like, like that's how it came to me. Like, well, of course, because he didn't like, he didn't come out and say like how awesome it is that of course, witches can be heroes and here's all these great examples and this is how you could do it. Like, he doesn't come out and say that. He goes like, oh, well, you know, I mean, I didn't say that, but you know, people are just born heroes and, and, and I don't know why. Like at all, I was, I was, I think I was on Hermione's side. I'm like, yeah, I'm not having it, Dumbledore. No, I feel you on that, and it was kind of like I, it was his, Weasley. I guess rhetoric word there, for it. his rhetoric doesn't really land for me re- there either. Um, like I, I get where he's coming from, especially when you're thinking like, you know, life is a story kind of stuff. Dumbledore mm-hmm. through through Dumbledore glasses, but um, what what does he say? It was like. Uh, well, she says, well, since he became headmaster, there's only been 11 students to graduate to graduate Hogwarts who became heroes, and 10 of those were boys. Um, and he's like, hmm, you know, I've never been one for tallying such numbers. And then he pulled this out. Often it is easier to count than to understand. And it, like, I know, yeah, that reminds, like, that little speech I gave a long time ago here about how, you know, if you, I, I called it, like, uh, what did I call it, symmetrical language or something. This wasn't quite that, but, like, it just sounds deep. Like, ah, instead of counting, you understand? It's a little bit symmetrical. Instead of counting, you should understand. Just don't think too hard about what I just said because it doesn't fucking mean anything. It's one um, of those lines that has, like, no substance to it. Yeah, but it's, it's, you know, it, sounds, got, it sounds truthy. It does. <laughs> and if you, uh, I mean, if you look at it charitably, you know, because, again, I, I love Double Door. I'll try and read the nicest version of whatever he says. Like, He's not keeping count because that's not how he thinks about it. He's just thinking about like the things they do or something. But um, I did my my response to your note in the notes was deepities run deep with Dumbledore, which is <laughs> fun to say. Deep so. deepities. Well, yeah, uh, and as we're saying that, uh, like the slam dunk for me then is like that sentence doesn't stand up to rational questioning. Um, cause if, you know, if you're, you know, going back, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Like that sentence. And that's sort of like, like the main thrust of that idea he's got in that paragraph. It just doesn't stand up. And so in a, in a book about rationality, I think that's a good, uh, pointer to whether or not we're supposed to agree with it. Well, he, he goes on to kind of elaborate where he's coming from. He says like many good people have come out of Hogwarts, witches and wizards, both those famed as heroes are only one kind of good person and perhaps not the highest. And like, that sounds like a genuine Dumbledore thought, yeah. right? Like, you don't have to run off and shoot a bunch of bad guys to be a hero. You can be Alice Longbottom or Lily Potter. Um, like, was Lily Potter a hero? I mean, she she died trying to kill the Dark Lord, saving her baby, yeah. right? And like, I like that he sort that's of called that out. Book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess what I'm imagining is going on is, like, Dumbledore's just sort of having to work backwards from, all right, we've got to get this whole, like, Harry Potter shit lined up. And that's, like you know, priority one for everything. And so this whole like, oh, Hermione doesn't want to be a sidekick to Harry thing is just like a situation that needs handling. Um, And he's trying to find like the least, like the most compassionate, least shitty way to accomplish that. Um, Because like you really, you can imagine like if Hermione was like, ah, fuck it, I don't want to be a hero. Like that would be fine with Dumbledore. (laughs) Like that would be, okay, that's a problem I don't have to deal with. Yeah, maybe. Of course, that's never anything Hermione would do, right? Exactly. Yeah. I guess, yeah, like, she, Hermione's not having this answer either, and I'm, like, totally on board with that. 
And then this is where, um, like, <laughs> uh, and I love it, too. All right, I'll, I'll read the whole thing rather than just rave on it. So then Dumbledore says, Miss Granger, it might be possible to discourage witches from becoming charms mistresses, charms mistresses or Quidditch players or even aurors, but not heroes. If someone is meant to be a hero, then a hero they will be. They will walk through fire and swim through ice. Dementors will not stop them, nor the death of their friends, not, and not discouragement either. And, like, that all sounds deep and awesome. Mm-hmm. And then Hermione's like, well, I mean... But what if that's not actually true? <laughs> I know. And then she's like, you know, that's just kind of thing you could just say after the fact. And there's no way to like, no. I think that's like, the, the more we talk about it, like Hermione is saying all the very rationality responses to that. And I think that's like the biggest tell of like where we're supposed to land on agreeing with it. And again, and then he, has, he uses that phrase like meant to be a hero, um, which is again like, well, what the fuck does that mean? Right. I mean, I guess if you're reading life through a the lens of a story there's literally a prophecy about harry doing you know extraordinary things so he's supposed to be a hero i guess but that hardly seems fair it's not like every hero that came out of hogwarts had prophecies um there was uh and like the other thing too like you said as far as anchoring this and lessons that we're supposed to take away like hermione is talking with and she lists off all of his accolades you know and he Mm -hmm. comes out and like his name is even longer than mine Um, (laughs) But she's, you know, rather than, you know, kind of uh, knuckling under the, 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 the gravity of talking with Dumbledore, she's like, yeah, but like, what if that's all bullshit? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, to me, it seems like if you want more witches to be heroes, you ought to teach them heroing. And it's like, that's the most straightforward I know. thing. And to me, I that love, that's what I love. And I love that way of doing it. because you're like, that's like this very simply stated, completely reasonable thing that there really isn't much of a good rebuttal to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think Hermione is playing the better rationalist yeah, exactly. argument than Dumbledore is. Yeah, and it feels like like that's so on purpose. Um, the other thing I really liked, which is again like a very this is a Hermione love fest today, um, like a very like the other Hermione superpower is sort of being kind of emotionally grounded in all this because one of the other sort of things Dumbledore grasps at is uh, well being <clears throat> you know it sucks to be a hero basically like oh it's lonely and dangerous and. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And um, the little thought that Hermione has that she doesn't say out loud was maybe if there were more heroes, their lives wouldn't be so lonely or so short. Um, That's why the Avengers yeah. work better as a team. Yes. Um, yeah, so I like that. It was a, that was a nice little, like, that line sort of came all on its own as its own paragraph, kind of with nothing, you know, flowing. It was like it, its own little bullet point in the, in the middle of it. So I like that line. And it was also like it was sort of like a powerful, like it was a very like sympathetic line to read, so I could put more power into it. Yeah, totally. And and even the next line, which has like less of that heaviness to it, but you mentioned the um, the sympathetic line. She says she couldn't bring herself to say, she couldn't bring herself to say that though, not to him. Yeah. And like you know, I guess I'm not sure how hard Dumbledore's life has been or how much of his autobiograph his autobiography is public, but like. She she wouldn't want to say to his face, like, you know, maybe if you'd had more friends, like, fewer of them would have died. Like, if you'd had yeah. more allies, then maybe you would have lost fewer of them along the way. Yeah. Like, that's a really hard thing to say to somebody who who already went through that. But it's a good thought to have when you're starting out, yeah. right? Now, does, do we know if, does Hermione know the, the rumor, legend, whatever, of Dumbledore setting fire to Narcissa? 
no, like, not so far as I would know. Although um, it is, yeah, I don't think we've heard it. So like Harry knows, but and Draco told him as, and it's a thing that is generally known, um, but not not like every single person is being told that, especially Muggle raised Hermione. I don't know if it's the thing that even hit the newspapers. Like, I mean, I think. Draco said, don't talk to anybody about this, which kind of means that this isn't public knowledge. Um, apparently, Dumbledore, in Draco's story, uh, or Drake, in Draco's rendition of the events, Dumbledore did it and then flexed it in front of Lucius Malfoy and said, yeah, it was fucking me. Now you fuck off our families and, you know, we'll call it even. Um, but since he just said it to Lucius, it's not like he, I don't know, whatever... Yeah, uh, but it was spread. It's like it's a like that was part of the, like the currency of the whole thing was that like the power of it was as a rumor, not that that it was a rumor, but that like that's its power was in that it communicated a thing. Like it, if it were a secret, that would defeat its purpose. Yeah, I guess if it was a kept secret among the fifty or so Death Eaters, mm-hmm. but yeah, it maybe it was the kind of thing that that made its rounds as rumors or something. Yeah. Although I guess um, yeah, like I, the ideal level of revelation would be like, it's just, it's completely a secret except all the people that need to know about it do. <laughs> so it's a secret to everybody except the people you're trying to intimidate. Right. Yeah. Unless like it, you know, maybe, maybe it hit the newspapers back when it happened or something, mm-hmm. but yeah, who knows? But yeah, I was just want to like, as Hermione's sort of like thinking about that, I wonder, like she wouldn't have that in the back of her head, this sort of like very sinister, uh, concept of Dumbledore, which again, still like completely like I'm still having trouble. I don't. That's the completely uncomprehended thing on my part is how to reconcile the fox. You have the the phoenix seal of approval on your goodness and this, you know, oh, you set fire to Narcissa thing. I think it was. Uh, I think it was Wes in the Discord pointed out that like it's entirely possible that like phoenixes don't read your mind. So like. I do feel like if you went off and changed your alignment on your character sheet, it would notice. But like, if you went off and did one bad thing without your phoenix there, maybe it wouldn't even know about it. I don't feel. I mean, there's no like. I can't back this up with it. It feels truthy to me that um, that Fox is sort of like keyed in on like some concept of like objective absolute goodness, not some like oh, what is your perception of it, or you know, nothing you could bring a lawyer to. Um, but that like especially because Fox is sort of like the symbol of like life and not death that, that it's more of a, like, you know, nothing you could get around on technicalities. Fox sort of like gets down to the nut of it. And Fox says, you're good. You're good. And we'll have to figure out what, you know, an absolute, you know, objective sense of good is, but that's the second task after accepting that he is. Um, At least that's my, I don't know. There's something sort of like, he's sort of, Fox is like one of those like basic, like totem level kind of thing. Like he's he is just a symbol, um, and so like then you kind of get back to like so then he's more talking about like pure concepts um, and like core things that aren't about you know particulars. So I don't know, and I have like no way to back that up. It's just my my vibe of it. No, I like yeah. it. I also like the use of the word truthy because it has a couple of <laughs> definitions. Like it's I think the, it was the uh, Colbert homage. Yeah, the Colbert homage, but it's also a JavaScript thing. Uh, truthy? Oh, I don't know that. Yeah, like, uh, like you can check for equivalency with this is the nerdiest aside. Yeah, uh, you've been but, stuck in Angular hell, poor y- boy. Y- 
I know, right? But you, so you can check for equivalency with like a double equals in JavaScript. And oh, the triple equals. Well, so that's no. the thing is a double equals will check for truthy equivalency. Uh, but if you I want actual you. equivalency, it's triple equals. And I don't use JavaScript enough to know under what fucking circumstances you'd ever want somewhat equivalency. But, you know, whatever. It has to do with that's like here nor empty there. strings and shit. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, zero. Yeah. Empty strings, I think, are uh, truthy and like, but literally false or something. I'd have to double check. I haven't, I could, I could, well, I could open up a quick console now, but I won't. So what I will say is Because our listeners need to know. Yeah, they do. An if block on an empty string will evaluate as false. (laughs) Um, The, it just occurred to me when you're talking about the symbol of the phoenix and stuff. I, it doesn't sound magically that hard to like conjure a fake image of a phoenix to fly around and hang out with you. Oh, yeah. um, but I think, so I was thinking about that for a second and I was like, oh no, but wait, like they're, all of their effects might be really hard to fake. You know, like yeah. the ecstasy trip you get when they're singing, which isn't quite like an ecstasy trip. It's more just like a more, I don't know. Yeah. So this is the thing, like fake. you could like, just by plot rules though, like because right, the yeah. fact that Fox likes Dumbledore was framed as a, a like what is your attitude about evidence um then like that was the big one it's like okay then we can just accept as like absolute truth in this universe that um fox knows what goodness is and dumbledore has passed the test Uh, but i still can't so there's this thing about like so the like oh maybe it's just a rumor maybe it did or didn't happen maybe it was just a way that like the death eaters are like in one way just trying to like malign dumbledore um but the the one that I, I think what like causes more like cognitive dissonance for me is the weird sinister vibe. And I don't know if that was just in my head, but the when he was in Azkaban, it doesn't seem like we've seen it in other places. But like Dumbledore in Azkaban to me seemed like awesomely sinister. I mean, it was cool, but he was like, oh, there's like he was scary um, and, and not in a just like, oh, he's super powerful. Um, but like there's some like, you know, like that. That vibe did fit with the, oh, this is the dude that set Narcissus and Malfoy on fire. Um, so I don't know how to, like, you know, reconcile those two yet. That's, like, very unfiled in my brain right now. Hmm. Well, we'll see if any... Well, just tell me how it turns out. You've read the whole book. Yeah, well... Damn it. Uh, it turns out that Voldemort was Fox the whole time, so... Never saw yes. that one coming. No, he Fox was... Fox didn't even make your list. He was the groundskeeper at the graveyard. It would have worked, too. <laughs> more for kids. those meddling kids uh, we, we uh, gotta keep going like we haven't even gotten to the scooby-doo part yet all right uh, so gotta, like, i'll cut our I want to sum up the last thing here with dumbledore where he says uh you know yes but you can't teach uh you can't teach heroism like you would teach charms you cannot assign 12 inches on how to carry on when all hope seems lost you cannot rehearse students on when to stand up and tell their headmaster when he has done wrong student heroes are born not taught for whatever reason more of them are boys than girls and then he just shrugs like he's helpless to do anything about it and that last line is like it's it's hard to either not read too much into or to not read anything into it all um like he's just like look heroes just happen man i i, I picture him like now it's like the weary old hippie wearing tie-dye shirt underneath his purple robes and he's just like man that's just how things happen it's like just, i don't know man i don't know man it's, oh, yeah uh, see it doesn't sit the more we talk about it the less i'm on hermione's side no, because it's sort of like, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know why girls are cowards. It's not my fault. Wait, you said the less you're on Hermione's side, but I think you meant to no, say the, the more, less that the, you're pers- No, the more I'm on Hermione's side, yeah. 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 Um, 
And then yeah, because it's just, just sort like, of like an abdication of responsibility for the whole thing. It's like, oh, I don't know, it just is. Yeah, who, and I think it's explain like... It? It's unexplainable, in, it's a mystery. In Dumbledore's defense, it could just be like, look, I don't give anyone extra help with being heroes with the possible maybe exception of Harry Potter. Um, you know, if people want to come in and be heroes, like they're going to do it. And I think he even says, like, I have told none to refuse that calling, but neither would I wish to increase their number. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like he's kind of just saying, like, look, sorry, I, I, I'm really not putting my hands in this. But I think Hermione's point is like, well, kind of maybe you could. And um, that's actually, that's what she says. I fucking love how she, you know, it's so easy to just have the impulse to just to kind of like, again, cow under like, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Uh, you know, headmaster, Albus, Percival, Wolfric, Ryan, Dumbledore, <laughs> chief of the wizard, Gamot, et cetera, et cetera. Instead, she says, well, maybe people who are, who are going to be heroes will be heroes no matter what. But I don't see how anyone could really know that yeah. aside from just saying it afterwards. And when I told when I told you I wanted to be a hero, you weren't very encouraging. And then he says, "Mr. Potter, please tell Miss Granger your impression of our own first meeting. Would you say I was encouraging? Speak the truth." And then there's like this pause, and he's like, "Uh," sounding really reluctant. "Uh, well, actually, in my case, the headmaster set fire to a chicken." <laughs> <laughs> I like there was I don't know if I would have to go back and, and read it to see, but like my picture of it was that like he didn't break eye contact with Hermione as he's like saying, you know, Harry, was I encouraging you? Yeah, that's <clears throat> that's what it says. Yeah, that was a good. And I'm cheating because I'm reading it as we're talking about it. So, um, so yeah, and then I, and the other thing that made me as there, there was not relevant at all to that, but it made me think as we were flashing back to, um to Dumbledore setting fire to a chicken um, that now that we sort of like looking <clears throat> now that we can like remember all this history about like Dumbledore and Harry's interaction. Um, Cause Dumbledore did say like, he knows he sort of implied like, Oh, I know all about your dark side thing. And like at that point we had much less of an idea of what that would be about. Although I guess technically we still theoretically don't know what that's about, but what it made me wonder is like, how much does Dumbledore know or like, does he know all of it or does he, and if he knows all of it, then what the fuck is going on there? But, um, but if he doesn't, are there just parts that he doesn't know or are there parts that he's misunderstood? Like, so I'm really wondering like, what, what is Dumbledore's version of what's going on with Harry and what, what does he think the, like, so yeah, Harry's a hero and is going to help defeat Voldemort. But like, how does, what does Dumbledore think that that plays out like? And what, what are like the assumptions that he's rolling with? Like, how is that informing, like, the decisions he's making? That's, like, a total question mark right now. I mean, I love all that, but I think you're just being paranoid. Like, Harry's dark side is obviously just puberty. <laughs> That's right. No, it's just, you know, he just didn't get a good night's sleep. He needs, you know, like, a good breakfast, and he needs to go to bed sooner. Yeah, have you considered that maybe he just needs, like, a granola bar and he's he'll, just, be, he's he'll just chill out? grumpy. Has anyone done the math? Has he ever been dark when he's been, uh, like, well-fed? Ha, check me. Yeah, so then de- uh, this is like the best. So Susan bursts out. She's like, but that's crazy. And then there's a sudden hush because, you know, there's the whole like Dumbledore's crazy thing that everyone mm-hmm. seems to think. And Dumbledore just like turns his head slowly to stare at her. And then he puts his finger between his lips and goes like. I have a read that that is what he was. Yeah. Which is the best thing ever. And hearing Drake Walker do it in Dumbledore's voice on the audiobook <laughs> is, is a total delight. And then 
After that, he just straightens up like he's just, you know, finished this important business. Well, my good heroines, it's been a pleasant speaking, or it's been pleasant speaking to you, but alas, much else remains to do this day. Still, rest assured that I'm inscrutable at everyone, not just witches. <laughs> inscrutable at. I love how he verbs being inscrutable. Mm-hmm. I picture like... He, the, the, his, he totally fucking does. His dramatic exit, I picture him like, you know, tossing some, you know, magical gunpowder stuff on the ground and disappearing in a puff of smoke. Smoke bomb. <laughs> smoke bomb. <laughs> But it, yeah, so he, he just walks back up the stairs and they can hear him cackling as the stairs are <laughs> rotating him away, which is just the funniest thing ever. There's one last brief, ha echoing out of the gap before it closed. <laughs> so then we kind of like cut <clears throat> and the, oh yeah, it's sort of like, it's like the, the mob disperses slowly. Um, and they, they, they like eventually, Hermione has to like eventually call and be like, okay, protest is officially over. Um and then, so then it's, and this again, we get, like, it's the, lost the non-quantifiable number of hero, heroine, which is walking around talking to each other. And they're, we get Non-quantifiable, the, uh, also known as eight. Eight. This doesn't work <laughs> for me. Like, I can't keep trying. It's, it's too many names of characters that don't add up too much. Um, you know, I'm sure there is a, a writer's tool for how many names is too many names. Oh, yeah. And I feel like definitely eight is definitely them. pushing yeah. it for a, for like a small party like this, unless you're going to give them all like a long fleshed out thing. Yeah. Like what house uh, is Lavender in? Fucking, I don't know. Like whatever, Tracy David? I don't know. I only know Tracy's in Slytherin because we just talked about it. But I, on the top of my head, I couldn't tell you what house Lavender is in. So, and I, I'm supposed to be the expert here. So yeah, fair point. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's why I like lost track because there was only like sort of three characters that sort of like had meaningful interactions. But anyway, so there's sort of like we get to keep running into the unpronounceable word heroinic, heroinic, um, the female version of heroic. Heroinic. Heroinic. Yeah, it sounds awful. It sounds like it's it sounds awful, (laughs) but it reads right off the page. It's probably I think it's I think it's an intentionally made up name. That's that's not a real word, but. Uh, Google seems to also think it's made up. Heroinic sounds like a a pulled muscle. um, Yeah, and heroinic sounds like a medication. Anyway, um, so there's, and this, like from here, it starts, I keep calling it like Scooby Doo, but it also sort of, it feels very, like we keep being reminded of that they're, now all of these are first years, right? Yep. Yeah. So we and we we keep being sort of reminded of the fact that they are twelve years old or thereabouts, um, because they're acting very like childishly chasing this. It feels like the rest of them are like not as quote you know mature about the concept as Hermione, but they're sort of like like chasing sort of a child's view of oh, okay we have to go be a hero, um, and so they're kind of talking, especially like sort of very like non-realistic ideas of, okay, well, we have to go out and do a hero thing. Um, well, we could like go run through the forbidden hallway because that would, you know, bad shit would happen and then there would be an adventure. <clears throat> so it's all this sort of like very um, like like childish and just kind of like like magical thinking kind of way of looking at it. And they're sort of like working that out. And I haven't been sure how to feel about that because that um, – like at least for me, like very much goes against like the you know what the Hermione ishness thing is this like sensible but grounded and you know empathetic way of looking at things and this sort of it almost feels like it um, like it demeans it or like belittles it almost like like I don't I don't like looking at Hermione as being sort of like naive and childish 
Um, and it like this plays off a little bit like that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I think like, you know, Hermione's takeaway for what like kind of the whole being a hero thing sort of came to her came to her after her conversation with Dumbledore, yeah. right? It wasn't like her ambition a, a week ago. Um, it, I think it's just more like she wants to be the person who makes a difference, not not the person who helps somebody else make a difference. Yeah, and, that's, and, and so, that part like what gets sort of like framed as kind of being explicitly feminist and i like that but if it, like those two things that they, they sort of feel like they're in conflict like on the way of like not wanting to just be a sidekick not wanting to be like you know the a footnote in the story of harry potter like that part i like very much but then like in the pursuing that by kind of going after these sort of like magical thinking ways of you know being a quote hero in a very sort of like not like thought about way seems like those two seem like f- seem in conflict yeah, the the downside, or the, you know, the bummer conclusion might just be that, like, you know, she's still, uh, I mean, she, she's not. The downside conclusion might be that Hermione's not one hundred percent perfect, <laughs> which, which is a bummer. Um, I mean, like, you know, if if you were to pull random people on the street and say, "Hey, who's more heroic, the surgeon or the surgeon assistant?" You know, also at the operating table the whole time, they might just say the surgeon because that's the person who quote is doing most of the work mm-hmm. or something, right? I'm not a surgery person. I have no idea. But um, so to her, she's like, no, I want to be the person doing the thing, not helping someone else do the thing. And it might just be that's all as far as it's developed. And I think that that I, I get where she's coming from, like wanting to be your own thing. That That's what this is. In fact, that's the name of the arc, right? Yeah. Self-actualization. Like that, she, she wants to be her own thing in charge of her own destiny, not helping someone else's along. And so to that end, it sounds... Yeah. I guess it's sort of like it, but it like sort of stands in contrast to if you think like the kind of sophisticated way that she was sort of, you know, parrying the things that Dumbledore was saying uh, compared to this, this sort of like very not, you know, very kind of vacuous way she's thinking about being a hero is like doesn't like that's doesn't feel like that's the same mind that was able to kind of like talk mature sense at Dumbledore. But now like, oh, let's, you know, should we, you know, go run through the hallways and look for bullies? All right. Um what was I saying before my coughing fit that I nicely edited out to spare everyone's eardrums? Um, uh, oh, yeah, I was going to say, I think as far as the whole, like, you know, let's go wander around the hallways and look for bullies, I think that she got voted down on that one. I thought that she, I think that if my memory is right, that she thought that was a bad idea, but everyone else voted for it. So, but I was going to point out, though, this funny line where um, they're kind of just like throwing, you know, the idea around, like, you know, maybe we should, you know, not do this. I, I don't like uh, this protesting and, um, I, Hermione being the awesome, encouraging person she is, she says, stop that. Because uh, Lavender says, I guess you won't be slaying armies of Inferia any, anytime soon. And she says, stop it. Look, we've all got to learn to be heroines, right? It's okay if some of us don't know right away. Mm-hmm. And then, well, the headmaster doesn't think it can be learned. Or that's even a good idea. And then Daphne says, the headmaster thinks a lot of us are a bunch of silly witch, silly little girls playing games and that someday Hermione might make a good sidekick, but the rest of us are hopeless. And then Parvati, is he right? I mean... It has to be asked. And then Tracy, I love this. No. And she's, you know, got this energy about her. And she says, we'll show him. We'll show them all. <laughs> show them all. Yeah, it was kind of a cool, like, like the the positive side of Slytherin. Because it was sort of like her attitude about it is very Slytherin, um, but not at all in a bad way. It was like, no, fuck that. <laughs> right. And even Susan was like, okay, that was definitely evil. And then Lavender <laughs> says, no, actually, that's a Chaos Legion motto. <laughs> um which I think is hilarious. Uh, 
And she says, that's right. And this time I'm not laughing because apparently the motto usually comes with maniacal laughter. Um, <laughs> and then Hermione was starting to worry about what exactly the impressionable youths of the Chaos Legion were learning from Harry Potter. Those poor youths. <laughs> youths. They, youths. Um, they're like, all right, well, we should do like something heroic then, right? And they're like, well, you know, I don't know. Um, what, what, do you, what does that even look like? And this is kind of where they're just throwing around the idea of like, what do we, what is... What does it mean to like go do heroing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they kind of have the. Oh, I guess that's more in the next chapter, but you know, to run with our never-ending example of the Avengers, like they don't go looking for trouble; they just show up wherever trouble is, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, and, and like especially like this, the quote new Harry that we've been seeing, where he's kind of like a little bit kind of overwhelmed by like his his new role of like having to be a hero, but it's very like for Harry, it's very much not like self-conscious. Um, or like, you know, worrying about like, what does it appear about how he's doing? Like, he's just trying to deal with the situation in front of him. And that like, to me, like sort of stands out as how different what they're doing here. It's all very sort of, you know, insecure and like trying to take on a role. Uh, and like the big difference in Harry is how kind of like authentic his thing is, is that he's not pretending anything. That's just the way things are. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point. Um, I'm trying to think of, I mean, I guess yeah, this chapter kind of ends like on a cliffhanger. That's why I'm trying to having difficulty drafting it. Yeah, kind of. Well, um, it just sort of like flows into the next chapter. So like, it's not much of a chapter break, like because the next chapter is just them basically continuing on, but now they're on their their adventure. Yeah, you're right. Cliffhanger is not the right word. It's more just like it, it smoothly segues, yeah. which is I guess the opposite of a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, probably like um, the more the sort of cleaner narrative break was sort of the okay Dumbledore leaves and now the girls are talking to each other about what to do and then that, that's sort of that's basically the continuation into because that's so because the, the chapter ends with them just sort of like okay what should we do and then the next chapter is them wandering around the halls doing it right yeah they'll uh I think it ends with them saying right so it's time for us to become real heroines we'll we'll come for the darkness and make it face us and teach it to be afraid <laughs> which is just so I think you know, Hermione's taking this semi-seriously, I guess as seriously as she usually takes stuff, which is pretty seriously. The rest of them, to varying degrees, are taking this as just good fun. Um, that's not the kind of thing you say if you're yeah. being serious, I guess. But it is if you're having fun at being serious. It's hard to say, I guess. But um, I do really like this. Then, yeah, so now we're on Chapter 71, which, like you said, smooth transition. Um, that they're just like, kind of like skulking around randomly in a group looking for bullies yeah a lot of descriptions of like the the hallways changing and like the, the hogwarts effect of the, like they keep getting lost because hallways that didn't exist five minutes ago right and there's just like the the kind of added like childish like humor element to it the fact that like they're doing this like after breakfast and before classes uh-huh. yeah they've got to get back to re- class in time yeah real heroing isn't done when you're afraid of being tardy <laughs> <laughs> so Let's see. Oh, yeah. Then um, Lavender had argued that if one first-year girl could take out three older bullies, then eight first-year girls ought to be able to fight 24 bullies because of multiplication. Let's say that, that is math that appeals to every computer programmer in the world. No, it's math that appears to every sprint planner exactly. or, uh, you know, release release engineer. Not not the not the teams. I, I That's the bane of my existence is every time I grab a new feature, it's especially if I don't get to help, like, like spec out like how long it's going to take or what all the work is involved. I get handed something that they say this should take four days. And I'm like, 
or rather it like it'll take eight days with the two of you working on it so you should be done by the end of the week and i'm like that's not how it works and you guys all know that well if you if you need help though we can have um six offshore resources luckily we don't have those that's what i'm dealing with right now oh man good times i mean you know nothing wrong with with uh the endeavor as a whole but it you know from to make it sound less asshole-ish from from people outside the the engineering community like it's it's a lot like in fact it's exactly like uh like ordering cheap parts from overseas or something right well it's that they're treated like as like just completely interchangeable widgets of labor yeah and for the most part things are much too like involved to have interchangeable widgets working on it like if you started a new job, you're useless for your first like eight weeks while you get spun up on it. So if you're just swapping out a new person every time they log in to do something, you can bet you're going to get some fairly ge- generic and useless stuff. Um, if it was the kind of thing that could be done with interchangeable, interchangeable widgets of labor, you wouldn't need programmers to do it. Right. There's the uh, the other canard that's I've I've heard at least five times in the last three years from different people in the industry, which relating to the multiplication thing is nine women can have a baby in one month. Yes. I think that's like the, yeah. Yeah, the, the Bible version for us geeks. You know, I wonder how much people give a shit about this, but the mythical man month is, is the book. Um, yeah. You just throw people at it. Right. And because of multiplication, the more people you have working on it, the faster it gets done. Yes. There's sarcasm in there. Um, so, but like yeah, this is a, and like yeah, it's all very scary because especially like they're having these kind of conversations while they're like I picture them like doing that like kind of Scooby Doo walk where everybody's like hands are up in the air and they're like creeping like tiptoeing um, down these hallways. Uh, <clears throat> but so the other paragraph I pulled: the quarters of Hogwarts pass them by one after another, their tense hands never straying far from their wands, as stone and wood and ever burning torches came into vision and then moved past. At one point, they heard footsteps and drew in their breath, hands almost dropping to their wands. <clears throat> but it was just a lone, older Ravenclaw who looked at them curiously before sniffing and dropping his head back to his book as he walked on. <laughs> um, yeah, sort of like, you know, picture somebody saying jinkies. Um, oh, and I just occurred to me, of course, the Ravenclaw is walking and reading at the exactly. same time. And just and going like, ah, whatever. <laughs> it also occurs to me that, like, it says their hands almost jumped to their wands. It's like, if you're trolling around looking for trouble you should have your wands out. out exactly yeah what is, what's, what's the etiquette of that second. is that like rude is that like walking with a gun i is imagine like so a show of aggression but you know you keep it pointed low i don't know it's probably it's probably yeah. etiquette around all this there's there's probably etiquette around this you can't you um, can't bring your wand out during a meal <laughs> unless you're doing stuff to your food or your dishes or refilling a glass or something no that's right that's unseemly Yes, yeah, that's right. You have your house elves do it. Duh, I should have thought <laughs> that. Um, and then the eight of them stood around the closed door and stared with a certain amount of weariness. I'm bored, declared Lavender. <laughs> it just says said, but I like it just like as a declaration because it's his own paragraph. Mm-hmm. And then Padma makes a show of taking out a pocket watch of her robes and looking at it. 16 minutes and 30 seconds, a new record for the longest attention span in Gryffindor. <laughs> And now they're kind of just sitting around arguing about like what makes fun things happen or what makes interesting things happen. Yeah, and they like they um, get on this theory that they just need to have Harry around because like just <laughs> shit happens because he's Harry, <clears throat> which is very much the uh, like life as a story theory. Yeah, and it, it, like it's it's funny, but like the 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 thing that unfortunately reinforces their their life as a story vibe is that like. You know, Harry bumped into what was it, five older Slytherins on the, yeah. you know, before his first class on his first day. So, 
or I guess it was technically after his first class because of time travel, but um, it, it's, you know, to them, from the outside, all of this seems like it's just some magic shit happening, but mm-hmm. of course, Harry also had inside, inside information from his future self, so, like, it's, that, it, from the outside, it all looks like it's this weird, omnipotent magic, but from the inside, it's just, everything kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, it's interesting, they, because, and they mentioned, like, the, and then, the, like, the other example is, oh, Hermione was basically wandering around the halls and ran into three bullies, which I guess sort of like what they're hoping will, will happen in all of this. But um, but that scene, and we talked about that last time, like felt very like magical. Like she was led there by Fox and the whole thing sort of felt like surreal. Um, I wonder how that fits in with that whole kind of magic shit happens to heroes. Oh, that's a good point. And I mean, even though Harry is ultimately responsible for his own magic shit happening to him, yeah. like he he found himself in that corridor because of weird magic shit that was involving literal time machines. So it, yeah, it seems like there's something. Yeah. Uh, I like how Tracy puts it. I bet all general chaos has to do is go to the bathroom and he, and he like finds Slytherin's Chamber of Secrets or something. <laughs> yeah, there's a little inside joke. Right on, I, I just lost it. Was, oh yeah, you think Lord Slytherin would have put the entrance to the Chamber of Secrets in a bathroom? Yes, yes he would. Yes, in fact, and he would put it in the girls' bathroom to throw everyone off their off the trail. Um, and then, like, so yeah, then they like what I'm saying is we've got no way of actually finding bullies. I mean, all they've got to do is find Hufflepuff somewhere, but we've got to run across them at exactly the right time, and which is a very good problem because if we did find them, we'd all get squished like bugs. So can't we use the third, third the, the forbidden third floor corridor like we're supposed to? <laughs> like we're yeah. supposed to. And in fact, this is kind of like taking from Quirrell's book a little bit if I'm calling back to it. You don't become a real heroine just by doing forbidden things therefore the headmaster tells you not to do. And like when they're, they're saying, oh no, you know, people who are rebels here, they just do the, the third floor corridor like we were all told not to. But Quirrell will just call that, you know... Uh, not extraordinary, right? You're yeah. just coloring inside the lines. Using only the approved shade. <laughs> By your HOA. <laughs> yeah, and so they basically... HOA, I don't know. I, that's actually relevant. Um, it just finally stopped. They've been, they're still working on roofs. Luckily, not my roof anymore. It did drive me sort of insane last week. Um, but the one right across the parking lot. So if you guys could hear some background noise, that's uh, where that was coming from. So I'll try and chop it all out, but I probably won't get all of it. You go. Um, yeah, good. My excuse to be a lazy editor. So yes. Um, so they and they kind of eventually land as they're going, running through their heads of you know all these basically magical, not magical, but like story time reasons that you know heroic things were happening to Harry. That this like light bulb goes off for Padma um, because I wouldn't have remembered because these names are all interchangeable. But she's the one that uh, Harry did the time turner trick of uh pretending to be the ghost of salazar slytherin um to basically talk her into not being a terrible person um and so oh, and it works she's a hero now and she's a hero so there you go Yay. um <laughs> that's right Yay. <laughs> lack of empathy social manipulation justified um check one for the check. Going for the lack of people skills, um, but yeah. So for her, like this is her, you know, click. Like, aha, Harry. The reason why Harry gets in all the right places and is doing all the heroic stuff is because the, that ghost of Salazar Slytherin that you know talked to me is talking to him all the time, and that's his. You know, that's 
how all the amazing thing happens because he's got like the inside track from the afterlife or something. Um, and I think it's sort of like, like obviously like this silly idea and then everybody's totally on board with it. And then, yeah, they kind of just take turns saying it. Oh yeah, that was weird. So it was just kind of funny. Like that felt very like cartoony yeah. as well. So, cause like they're, they're throwing around all of these like super magic and super heavy sounding phrases. Mm-hmm. Like, so we've got to ask the boy who live the boy who lived where to find Salazar Slytherin's ghost. Wow. I guess if I'm saying stuff like that out loud. I might actually be turning into a heroine. <laughs> His ghost, yeah. That's I, I gotta think like it's almost like very explicitly Scooby Doo. So. And they, so I think three of them take turns saying it. And mm-hmm. I love Tracy's whole approach. Like she, she's the one you know. We'll show them all, and she'll find three ambitions by Sunday morning or whatever. And um, they're like, and if that doesn't work, we'll stun Harry Potter, tie him up, and bring him <laughs> with us because he's a fucking chaos magnet. <laughs> and if he's next to us, shit will happen. Yes. <laughs> um. So that, that's sort of like they, that's the decision they arrive at though, right? I mean, that's sort of like their, okay, our, our action item going forward is we need to go uh, shake down Harry until he tells us all about the Ghost of Slytherin thing. Right. And like, okay, now we got to hurry up and get back to class. Um, and then it, then it jumps to Hermione's point of view, which I just think is funny because she says it was something rather sad that she genuinely didn't know whether Harry Potter had been led around by the Ghost of Salazar, <laughs> by the ghost of Salazar Slytherin or Phoenix or what. Yeah, we get in a little bit with like Draco gets told that, and uh, and he's like, uh, you know, maybe, sure, but but that's it. But so like, and as they're walking back, I don't recall what the like the trigger for it was, but they're um, one of the other girls asks uh, Hannah something something of a, of Hufflepuff, who's being very stereotypically Hufflepuff, um, why she had voted in favor of going to hunt for bullies, um, and she very in a very embarrassed way admits that well because that's the heroic thing to do and being heroic will impress a boy she likes um and then we get a a few pages of going off on like how kind of missing the point that is um and then some weird like weird back and forth about uh, and then hermione like busts out the word feminism and it's a word that the wizard girls have never heard before and they're like what the hell is this like it's pronounced feminist. feminist i know yeah no feminine there's it's pronounced feminine oh, that's right yeah yeah and, um and it, it's it's not a few pages it's like a few paragraphs yeah. but maybe your kindle reader has read a tiny, text or I, something. I read on my phone so yeah oh nice yeah me too um a few phone pages uh but yeah it was funny and i think i've said before i like i really like how yudkowsky writes um the female characters because it feels like very um like genuine like there's like i sort of like how george r R. martin has been talked about is like well because they're people um that it's very yeah it's like not like not an affectation um i'll I'll contrast that that kind of writing with my much uh mentioned series wheel of time that uh doesn't really do a good job writing female characters um if, if the only thing that can be said in its defense is that it doesn't do a very good job writing male characters either. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like, great. Everybody plays like the idiot parents on TV shows from the 90s <laughs> who like they, they don't communicate. They're talking past each other. They're reading the wrong things that each other's saying. Mainly it's just all terrible communication skills for super like stereotypical reasons. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they this, this read the opposite of that. And yeah. 
you mentioned that he's good at, that it feels genuine which is nice because it's like he writes uh female characters unlike the way as you lamented early on in the show not this episode but in the the the, the podcast unlike in the way that he writes children yeah because it's like okay yeah children you know all right i'm not gonna write a book about fucking kids you know yes they're 11 but because the plot makes them 11 or something i don't think i'd want to read a book about fucking kids oh my god <laughs> <laughs> you just said you son of a bitch oh, uh, tells a grapefruit like that what am i supposed to do yeah well i guess what you're supposed to do is grab that soundbite and make it my text message tone <laughs> yes well very good so where were we before? <laughs> before you just got all dirty. Yeah, sure. I'm the one who made it weird. <laughs> all right, yeah. Brian. So, but, but, but so the, as we like the feminist thing we got on was like, so Hermione, uh, it's it's like it kind of goes back and forth between like, so they completely <laughs> don't get the point. But then also it kind of does get to the like, well, if this, you know, feminism thing means that witches don't get to do what they want. And that's kind of bullshit. Which at least I think that little nugget in there was like totally valid. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, you get to do whatever you want for whatever reason you yeah. want, and there's nothing more like I'm my own person than that, yeah. right? And I mean, like, it is, and I, I get where Hermione's coming from, um, in the sense that like I can see where her train of thought originated, but like that's that's like pretending that no no boys ever became heroes to impress a girl, yeah. right? And it's like, yeah, is that the most heroic reason to be a hero? No, but. Like as long as you're still running into a burning orphanage, a burning puppy orphanage, and saving a bunch of puppies, then you know more power to you. Um, anyway, uh, so then we cut. They, they made it back to class in time. Thank goodness. Uh, um, and then class ends, and as they're leaving, um, I think it was does it does Hermione chase down Harry first? But but Padma comes in. She like corners Harry, and because um, she wants to ask him about. Tell us all about this secret Slytherin's ghost thing you got going on. Um, oh yeah, she she fled the room first. That's why it was weird because she like ran out of the room so that she could talk to him in private before anyone else got to him. Yeah, and so she she wanted to brace him, and be like, "Hey, so heads up, uh, this happened," but she didn't get a chance, I think, to. Uh, um, yeah, before whatever. that, like, ex- shut up. Yeah. Well, it's weird, and so like, like she asked that um, to Harry, and he like immediately like cast a quietest term so nobody else can hear them but after she has said that and and then he, like he asks Hermione like oh my god how many people like know about this and I wasn't clear I didn't get like or maybe I misunderstood was is it a big deal is he like super concerned that this might be a secret that gets out uh, and like what would be the repercussions it didn't to me it seemed like it was a bigger deal to him than I understood why because he could because he could just that, say like no yeah he <laughs> Yeah, I think that he is taking it as a sort of big deal because this would be quite the rumored app floating around. Like, um, yeah, yeah, I guess we can spend some time trying to suss out the um, implications of it. But like, if literally Salazar Slytherin is allying himself with the boy who lived, uh, that would be politically shaky for a lot of people, including some people he's trying to ally himself with and not piss off. So like, yeah. I guess what's been, I mean, because there's been other rumors about Harry, um, sometimes true, and he has to like, you know, fake his way through it. But like, it would almost be helpful to him to have a very definitely f- false rumor floating around because he could just go, well, uh, no, and it would be true. Because um, I mean, yeah, yeah. we bad if people thought that. I mean, 
But all he has to go is like, well, yeah, that's completely not true. But of course he would say that if it was exactly. true. It's, but see, that would be to his benefit. And then you could like, you know, it's like randomly bluffing in poker. He, you just don't know what's going on with Harry. Some shit's true. Some shit's not true. You can't tell. <laughs> yeah. I mean, creating an air of mystery around exactly. yourself. That's like a good way to, to get your yeah. uh, perceived omnipotence yeah. up, right? Yeah, I guess I, I wasn't. It seemed like it was like he was way more concerned about it than I understood why. Not that, not that it would be like awesome for people to think that, but it seemed like he was like this super emergency for him. And I didn't, it just seemed like it would just be a minor annoyance. Yeah, that's I'm sure maybe there'll be some good discussion on helping us sort this out because it's it definitely strikes me as like the kind of thing that like I see where Harry's coming from. Like he doesn't want like Lucius Malfoy to think that the ghost of Salazar Slytherin is on his side. Although why exactly not? I mean, yeah, I guess because like uh, maybe it's more that it's like because the real story behind it was his time turner fuckery, and maybe that that would. Like it's pointy in that direction and like any sort of focus on that whole thing might end up, you know, revealing the time turner stuff. That's a really good explanation, yeah. actually. I like that a lot. He just doesn't want anyone thinking about this too closely. Yeah, yeah that part, it just wasn't yeah. like super like clear. And like as we're saying that, like that's not even a slam dunk that that's actually the case. But I like that though. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, anyway, yeah, so that happens and then he's kind of like, Okay, well, that's an interesting guess, uh, but he doesn't, you know, yeah. confirm or deny. And he says, have I asked whether you shared this thought with, and then Hermione says, she said it in front of everyone in Spew. Mm. And he's like, uh, Hermione, what is the chance that she said it in front of Lavender and Tracy? <laughs> and um, uh, should I not have done that? And I guess what that means is that, yes, Harry, by now, literally yeah. everyone in Hogwarts has heard this rumor. And then we cut to Tracy's telling Draco to, to confirm <laughs> this suspicion we got to yes it's happening right now but i didn't even describe it like it. oh this is and a few minutes earlier like right. by the time they're having that conversation might, Tracy had already been well telling be. Draco. yeah and then i like how she's thinking um so which in, in her internal monologue she's thinking that uh uh someone had to tell draco and it might as well be her and a slytherin had to do what was necessary in order, in order to achieve her ambitions with a capital mm-hmm. a and she'd been, she'd been collecting ambitions, capital A, ever since <laughs> Professor Quirrell told her off. And so far, she decided that she wanted her own Nimbus 2000 broomstick, become super famous, marry Harry, marry Harry Potter, eat chocolate frogs for breakfast every day, and defeat at least three Dark Lords just to show Professor Quirrell who was ordinary. <laughs> like, you know, half of those are super, super doable. You can knock those out by, you know, next week, chocolate depending on how much money you have. Yeah. yeah, eat chocolate for breakfast and uh, Nimbus 2000 broomstick. Um I mean, you could even become moderately famous by the end of the week if she did something totally insane. Like the girl who eats chocolate frogs for breakfast every day. I was thinking like she just like ran in and shot Draco Malfoy in the face. <laughs> and then she'd be in the newspapers as the, you know, the... <laughs> Frankly, if she wanted to spin it right, that could count as one of her three Dark Lords. There you go. She could be well on her way to knocking out most of this list. <laughs> um, anyway, Mr. Goyle, Mr. Malfoy says in his low menacing voice, Mr. Malfoy will see you now. And when you're de- and you'd better hope he doesn't think you're wasting his time. The boy loomed at her briefly and stepped aside. Loomed. He loomed. He loomed at her. Tracy added having her own servants to her list of ambitions, <laughs> trademark, and then entered. And then she steps in. She decided she would also marry Draco Malfoy and puts that on her ambition list mm-hmm. as well. I wonder if she's writing these down. I'm already losing track. <laughs> and it was, it was a very weird, like, like, description of his room. It's like... 
very like sleazy it was like some sort of like 70s porn den vibe to it <laughs> i think we've seen his like, room before yeah, yeah, so. and it, like it was it was articulated that all the um nobles in slytherin got their own badass oh, rooms right. yeah no, it just had so this like it, wearing too much cologne vibe to it i think i i see what you're saying i i i, I bet he got to pick which room but still it you know no, that's what I meant. Like that—that that is the—that like, is the outcome of him being allowed to make every single choice. Is that he comes out being like way too rico suave. At least it's not a leveled room with carpeting on all the levels. Shag. Yeah, shag carpeting. I assume it's stone floors. Um, so anyway, uh, oh, and the window—I like that too. It faces out into the lake, which to me is just fucking awesome. It'd be like sleeping in a submarine. It's good to be a mouthful, but not having all the stress of being in a submarine. So. <laughs> But yeah, and it's and like it all fits because it's like so Draco's very like superficially charming to her, and so it all comes across as being very Malfoy and Slytherin, um, and that he's like super important. Um, and he and his his whole way of dealing with it is like this I don't know big executive like my time is money uh-huh. businessman, but he's just like some uh-huh. kid. And, I mean, he's not just some kid, but you know what yeah. I mean, you know what I mean. Uh, she, she comes in she's like i got something to tell you and he's like yes gregory said so please sit down mm-hmm. <laughs> so what business and that I, I was actually just making this up but that's basically the next line so what do you want to tell me but it could have been like so what is what's what's the business mm-hmm. you brought to my table yeah um and she as she starts to tell him to- as she starts to tell him she like interrupted he's just like looking at her like with no change in expression she like stops she's like you don't believe me do you um, and he just says like, well, I believe basically like, I believe you believe what you're saying. Um, right. And so thank Yeah. I believe that's what Padma said and what Daphne said. So thank you. Anyway, Miss <laughs> Davis. And then like, then he rose, which is like a dismissive yeah. gesture. In fact, she, yeah. without even thinking she stands up to, um, yeah, it was all very like, like smooth this. and like high etiquette moment in a way that like very, you know, accurately came across as being, you know, completely superficial and unfeeling. I'm picturing like a Jack Donaghy from 30 Rock. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. You know, I mean, with the shapes of the characters being entirely different, mm-hmm. but everything else about it. And then Tracy's like, well, you didn't ask what I wanted for the information. And he gave her like this look. Like, <laughs> like uh, you're, like, you're negotiating like, skills hey, you told bad. Me, And you don't get to ask it. Yeah, exactly. But she, she's, before he even says anything, she's like, well, anyway, I don't want anything. I was just being friendly. And then he's like, well. It's not that easy to become friends with a Malfoy, Miss Davis. She's like, well, then I'll just go on being friendly then. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, that's when she decides that Draco Malfoy would be one of her husbands. Mm-hmm. So this, then this is the, the little, we get a line break that's just uh, Draco's point of view for like three paragraphs. And after the girl was gone, Gregory came in, shut the door and said, are you all right, Mr. Malfoy? Which I think might be the first confirmation we get that he calls him Mr. Malfoy when they're mm-hmm. alone, which is hilarious. And... Uh, you know, whatever minions, and Draco's just like staring off to doing the thousand yards. Oh, yeah. And he's like, "Mr. Malfoy," and he's like, "I can't believe I believed every word of that." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's plausible. Plausible. He's just like, "God, fucking a!" If it wasn't Harry Potter, man, that you know, oh geez, this that's so. He's he's like, "That's so out there," but I've said that a thousand <laughs> times this year, man. I think everyone's just, maybe it's just me, but everyone's getting this vibe of like, oh, God, man, this is just getting, this, this is too, getting to be sure, a lot. This why not? Sure. Goes to Slytherin. <laughs> this sure. might as well happen. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Play it. Play it. 
So the way this like uh, so we cut to another to another scene, um, and by the point of view of sure, let's say Daphne. Um, oh, good Scooby Doo name. Uh, and it's it, there's no way that was an accident. Yeah, I guess not. Scooby Doo um, here must be on purpose. But like this this Nothing whole like this whole little scene with I've even forgotten like the you know like the details of it. But it seemed like it was a long walk for. Uh, Daphne to say to Millicent, oh, you're a seer. Um, and that's sort of like the punchline to the whole thing. Uh, it was basically just sort of established that we have a seer in the plot. Because um, it was like, she goes to like, oh, I heard this cool rumor and we should go, but we have to go to my room so I can tell you. And she casts the quietest charm. Um, but and she basically says like, oh, like you've been way too good at hearing about the rumor mill. So it must not be the rumor mill. You must be a seer. And that just sort of like, we just kind of like stick a pin in that. Um, well, we know that's not true. We did. Because we know how Millicent's getting her information. Oh, is that? Because that was the, I forget the, maybe the Margaret Bulstrode was her older sister with the time turner. Mm, oh, yeah, yeah, And that's the one that Harry pays yeah. to relay that message back to himself. Uh, yeah. So she, she, she's not a seer. She has an older sister with a time turner that no one knows about who uses it irresponsibly to tell her younger sister yeah, gossip. gossip. All right. There you go. Um, yeah, yeah it, was, it just yeah, it seemed odd to me because it was a, was a lot of words thrown at that. But. And I, yeah, it was a lot to build up to it. I'm guessing. I mean, not guessing. I'm reading from how long it took to get there, and like the fact that we get a line break, and that's the yeah end of that segment, is that uh, like I'm guessing being a seer is serious business. Yeah. So, I mean, we we don't really have any seers, I guess, other than Trelawney, if she yeah. counts. She's that hack who occasionally has real prophecies. Yeah. I think that was supposed to, like she was like, and I think they've been consistent with this as it was in the original, but that like Trelawney is actually a seer, but almost never and is faking it the rest of the time. Yeah, I sort of got the impression from canon that like divination as a whole was complete dog shit, but prophecies are yeah. real. Uh, like in the in the canon one, she's running around her you know incense infused room, yeah. screaming like, "Oh my god, it's the Grim!" and everyone's cup mm-hmm. and all this and that. And like, let's be real. If 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 you could take a class on reading the future one hundred and one, like the the magical world would look pretty different, right? I sense you're going through a time of great change. Yeah, I think it's just basically <laughs> astrology one hundred and one. Yes. I was watching a Carl Sagan. Um, it was the one that he did with. Uh, um shoot was it arthur c clark and stephen hawking on like some talking head show in the late 80s or early 90s and they were talking about like the possibility of time travel and time machines and would this put uh you know is, is there any I, the talking head got his way around asking the question would this put uh astrologers out of business and sagan says nothing will put astrologers out of business <clears throat> truth all right, you really got to read your opening line for the uh, yes, uh, Rihanna sp- fell. Speaking form. of fucking kids, um. <laughs> no one is no one is speaking of that, sir, except for apparently Rihanna Felthorn. Uh, yeah, Rihanna. How do you say Ryan? Rihanna. Rihanna Felthorn um, is summoned by. Uh, is she does it start there like in her common room or something? But anyway, Snape comes in and says, "Come with me," and I. I'm guessing this is pr- this is probably the same character who in that earlier one Snape was like, yeah, I know you have a crush on me, but fuck off. Um, oh yeah, yeah, he flicked the thing at her forehead. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing I didn't go back, but m- must be the same character. But um, 
so Snape's like, oh, follow me. And, you know, he's being all Snapey about it and doesn't explain anything. Um, and they start walking down into dungeons. Uh, and then she says, um, she began to wonder if Professor Snape was taking her to the real dungeons that she'd heard rumors of, the true dungeons of Hogwarts that had been sealed off to all but faculty, and if maybe Professor Snape did terrible things down there to innocent, helpless young girls, but that was probably just wishful thinking on her part. Blah, blah, blah. Which on that part is like sort of like, uh, like sort of naughty, and but then it gets like fucking creepy. Um, we don't get any like payoff to like what the, what the, what the ultimate goal of all this going on is, but Snape says that like, okay, he's going to pay her 50 galleons and she needs to do a thing, a mysterious thing. And he's not going to tell her what, and that part of the reason she's being paid so much is because she's going to have her mind wiped when it's done. So she won't know what it is. And as Snape is talking to her about, you're going to be paid 50 galleons to do a thing that you can't tell anybody about. She's like, yes, I'm going to be sexually abused. Um, and then, and then she's like, oh, and, and do you know how, then the, so I'm like, okay, this is, we're just going to run with it. This is uh, creepy and weird. But then it's just like, a, just to make sure we go full creepy. Uh, and I like, it was so bad. Like, I didn't even quite get it. I'm like, wait, is that really what we were just saying? But uh, so he says like, oh, so do you know who Hermione Granger is? And the phrasing was like vague enough that it wasn't really vague, but it just wasn't so hitting me over the head that I didn't get it at first but but she basically thinks like oh gross I'm not going to like sleep with a 12 year old girl because um, she thinks like she's going to be paid 50 galleons to you know fulfill some sex fantasy of Snape's um, and then it just sort of like cuts but so I thought it was like sort of awesomely inappropriate but like uh, but yeah there you go but even I was like I guess I was so, like so not expecting I'm like wait Hermione why does she think I'm like oh okay alright that's where we're going yeah yeah there's like so no explanation it, for this at all. We like end the chapter and like, okay, that's where we're going. Yeah, that's that's what's happening. Not so like I think there's a couple things to unpack. One is like her her mind jumps there, and all of our minds do mm. because the whole time she's being led down here, she's just got her mind so deep in yeah. the gutter that it's you know it's full of filth, and you know I'm not sure how morally ambiguous it is because she's in her seventh year she's about to graduate I'm sure that makes her of the age of consent or whatever in magical Britain because they're weird but like ages aside um he's the teacher you know obviously yeah exactly it's highly uncool and uh the but but you know she's into it because you know whatever she's a uh high school essentially girl and she's got her she can have all the you know the fantasies she wants it's just not it's not it's not okay to do that sort of shit um but I, you know, I need to verify where this is. I'll have it for us at some point because we'll probably see Rihanna Felthorn again. Um, I know that this was a deliberate setup um, based on, like, to subvert a trope that's really common in Harry Potter fan fiction. Um, I don't know anything else about that, having not read any other Harry Potter fan fiction other than, like, derivatives. Oh, was it, like, flipping the, like, oh, teacher wants to violate the student, the student doesn't want it, that it's, like, doing the reverse? Snape's not at all like interested, that. but she wishes he would. I'll have to I'll have to put a poll out to the to the Discord homies and see if anyone remembers where this happened. Like there was some discussion of this when it came out back in the day. I'm guessing I wasn't on actually read it back in the back in these years, so um, I wasn't part of the live conversation for it. But I do know that this this was intentionally set up to subvert the trope of mm-hmm. yeah. I'm guessing see, I'll be banging Snape or something. I'll be a little disappointed if we don't like you know fit this in as like having plot significance. It's just sort of like, oh, this is a call out to a trope thing, and we drop it. That's no fun. 
that would be kind of boring. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see. But yeah, right. I like this again, you know, these like random left field, wildly inappropriate things in the book are, they work for me. I'm like, oh, wow, you went there. Okay, then. Yeah, finally, we've got something real for you to sink the, you know, the shipping <laughs> train that you've been on into this whole time. That's right. You know, she's like, I know, she's, she's a red shirt. Well, we'll see how it all shakes yeah. out. She's like, Voldemort. Uh, Rianne yeah, Felthorne is Voldemort. The real Voldemort was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> um, yeah, so actually, I remember this from back when it was being released. Don't tell me I'm crazy calendar thing. Let's see. What were we on? Just 71? Yeah, 71 came out in April 5th, 2011. 72 was May 27th. And then 73 was August 24th. And so um, the, the previous ones all came out in a relatively decent, like, close enough uh, release segment. Um, but then we had, like, months of of just waiting between updates here. So I, I remember as we're getting back through this, that this may well have been when I caught up to the story, actually. And then I get there and I'm waiting for months and months. Or these, this was the first part where I caught up and I was waiting for months and months. But um, like everything before now was written between February 2010 and uh, February 2011. And the book doesn't finish until March 2015. Uh-huh. So like we get we get lots of periods. It's not really relevant other than like meta knowledge for like what it was like to read this when it was out. People reading for the first time won't know our pain, and it's important to me that they <laughs> at least hear of it. In my day, we had to wait. We waited for months and occasionally what felt like years for updates. Couldn't binge so, read Harry Potter. You had to wait. wait actually, it. in 2014, there was only one chapter that came out. And I wonder if uh, the, I wonder because the thing that I had noticed about it was because all the all these characters read being much, you know, more mature than they really are. Even though Hermione likes it, keeps reminding us that like, Oh, I'm only 12 years old. Even, even her, even with saying that she, uh, she reads as older than that. And that this is, but he, and he like sort of, you know, goes very explicitly has, uh, Rianne go like, Oh my gosh, she's only 12 years old or however, first year or whatever. But like reminds us of the fact that she's just a girl, a young girl that like, like maybe that's like one of the little call outs is because I imagine there's no shortage of uh, porn thick about, you know, 12 year old Hermione having inappropriate sex with people. And maybe that's him sort of like calling. I was like, uh, you guys know that like, she's not Emma Watson. She's 12 years old. Yeah. Nice. Nice to keep that, I guess, fresh mm. people's heads. Oh, that seems like a very sort of a finger waggy luxury kind of thing that seems out of place otherwise. So maybe not. <laughs> Man, I sorry, I'm distracted by all the awesome background noise of trucks still moving around. They're working later than usual, but they're making good progress through the buildings. But if it isn't loud, man. Um, so sorry, everybody. But in a couple of weeks, at the very, very latest, all that background noise will be done. So other than that one episode where we had where we basically got weathered out for 15 minutes. That was awesome. Yeah. All right. We're at, the, we're at the point where we're talking about the podcast rather than the books. And, so it's time and to wrap done, up. So but, there you go. Yeah. We'll tell people that we are covering chapters 72 and 73 next week. Or wait, did we do 70 and 71? Yeah, yeah we're doing the yeah. next two. Two. So we're doing 72 and 73, which is plenty to talk about. I think it'll be this one, you know, it seems weird because this is a weekly podcast. And for most of our weekly shows, two hours is a long time. But <laughs> don't. This is tiny. Two hour episodes. Nothing, I don't have anything else to just... fill the time with talking about and keep us on for 30 more minutes. So. Uh, we could do readings from the Mythical Man Month. 
is that just like a book on how bad yeah, it's, it's, planning it's like is or whatever? A, uh, yeah, it's the it's the uh, the original text for yeah, nine women, one baby, one month. Nice, Albert Brooks, I think. Yeah, around here. Yeah, it's worth pointing out that Brian has been programming since before everyone learned everything on the internet. So uh, that's true. You learned from having to like buy, buy books, books and like read them, thick, which sounds terrible. Books. Yeah, I know. I learned C plus plus with seven hundred page book. Good God. Um, I can't imagine having to skim to the index and being like, oh, okay, great, there's, and then you find whatever the syntax would See, and we didn't know, but yeah, and it back. took like a few years before we'd like look back on it and be like, oh, that was fucked up. Like, it is way easier. I haven't had to buy a book to learn a language in like 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, make books I guess I own Java books, but they came with the boot camp I went to. Yeah. So, um, yeah, books are for, you know, they're, they're old school. Everything's online these days. But, uh, now we're getting way too far afield. This has got to be super boring for anyone who doesn't want to be a programmer. So 72 and 73 next time, everybody. We'll see you back here. Same time, same place next week. Bye, everybody.